Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store, the place that we can all go to once a week whenever it is movie night. Interesting people pop in to rent something, and we go through the films that they've loved across their life, and then when the store is quiet, I chat to my buddies about the films that we're watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. We're here to help you figure out what you can watch. All right, let's start the show. Let's open up the shop. All right, top of the morning. Morning, Russell. How are you, Graham? Right on yourself, dude. Lekker, man. How are you, Cole? I'm very hungover. <laughs> really? Eh? Yeah. Joel Hard. Yeah, I went to Babylon last night. Babylon. For shirtless, do a leap at night. <laughs> what? <laughs> entrance was free if you were shirtless. Okay. After 10, but we got there earlier, so we didn't have to pay entrance. I don't have to take my shirt off. <laughs> but did you take your shirt off at any point? No, in the night? no. <laughs> And what it was what, a disappointing makes, amount of shirted people. What makes a Dua Lipa night? Uh, the drag queens performing Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa Not songs. the DJs because they played one Dua Lipa song and a whole bunch of other shit. So I was like, this is very disappointing. <laughs> We're just okay. watching the gay porn on the screens. Uh, it was fun. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, today on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We have a highly revered, much loved um, film critic, Leon Fanirop. Sweet. He's going to pop in to rent something. He has been <clears throat> the voice for millions over the years. Um, he's spent a lifetime um, in the dark watching films. <laughs> and um, he's popped into our lives in different ways. He lectured me for a bit at Vits. Did he have anything to do with you guys? Yeah, I, I met him to do my honors research essay. Okay. Like as a script, as a supervisor for that essay. Mm. Yeah, just a great person who's who's just really helped the film scene in so many ways in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it'll be great to talk to him about some of the stories and the things that he's done in his life. And um, the big question, which you think is, you know, um, achievable enough <laughs> with a comedian or an actor, which is, you know, what films have you loved? Now you're asking a guy who watches so many films for decades and decades of his life. <laughs> to choose. You know, to now have to choose which Heck films he loves. So I'm very excited Ooh. to see what he chooses. Yeah. And for all of those who are joining for the first time here at the video store, we've got ourselves a lovely day. And after Leon's visit, um, myself, Cole and Graham are going to talk about some of the TV shows and the movies that we're watching. Mm. So we'll get into that. Um, but uh, yeah, we also go to... Babylon for shirtless <laughs> Dua Lipa nights. Sorry. <laughs> Surprise, we talk about everything. Yeah. No, it's lovely. I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I went away to look for um, wedding venues, Ooh, future wedding we're venues. We're getting into that time. We're, we're now at that point where we're starting to plan our wedding, myself and Leslie. It's all very exciting. That's man. so cool, dude. Yeah. No, we're getting there. It's like it's starting to take shape. It's going to be at the end of the year. Um, but uh, hopefully you can keep it together, Cole. Are you going to go outside and have a rehydrate? And yeah, I think I'll have a rehydrate and a panado. <laughs> panado and, <laughs> and just, you know, take it easy. A hot shower. <laughs> Do we have a shower at the video store? <laughs> no, we should. Um, and Graham, you got something to keep you busy? Yeah, I have to go write some apology letters to the parents I tricked into renting Alien last week. Hey, call back to last week. <laughs> Appreciate it. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, uh, let's get into it. This is Leon Funnyrop popping in to rent something. How's it? 
Hello, Russell. It's great to speak to you. Great to be here. Uh, I, I remember the bioscope when it was still in Mabuneng. I went there a few times, and now it's here, and I love these chairs. Yeah, it thank you. It is kind of sort of like <laughs> when I was young, uh, this was the kind of cinema chairs I sat in. Yeah, I think, you know, the world's gotten to a point where they can, you know, very easily recline and do all sorts of fancy, plush, prestige things. But I, I've taken a little bit of joy in saying to people, no, we, we like these chairs. <laughs> yes. you, you, you know, if you go to New York, for instance, the Quad Cinema, all those cinemas in, 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 in uh, Greenwich Village have these kinds of chairs. Oh, really? And they sat through. You can see many bums yeah. sat on those chairs. And, so, and, and, and kind of you, you feel so comfy there. Yeah. I remember you know? going into the Paris, which I think has since gotten yeah. quite an upgrade. But when I was there, it was also very simple, quite simple seats yeah. yeah and that's what i like i sort of don't like red carpets being thrown out to you and so on i just want to see the film what people don't understand also with the preview is usually the first half an hour there's a big gathering and talking and all i want to do is sit down yeah. like with a screener and yeah. watch the film yeah. <laughs> and not go through all you don't like the pageantry of no it all. i don't know i've never liked it and i will never like it and, and, and that's a big part of your life, is going to watch these movies. I think let's get into it. It's been um, a lovely career of an incredible, incredible amount of films. Have you, have you, have you ever kept them in yes, a diary? Yes, I've kept them. I mean, here, here's my latest one. I have one from 1970, and this is now 2024's book. Oh, so you keep so them in, a, every, in an actual every book? Every year there's a book. Okay. With everything that I've seen. So if one day I'm, I'm very bored... I might go down and, and, and sit and write down everything I've seen and count them, but they will be 5,000 plus, something like yeah. that. Uh, have you come across Letterboxd, the, the app? No. Um, it's, it's, got a, it's got a film diary component to it, which I started in, in lockdown, and oh. it's lovely because that also just counts your films and it catalogs your, your watching. But it's for guys like, L like, like us that... But, that, but, that, that Sort of yeah. their, their idea yeah. of, a, of a fun weekend is watching movies. But remember, I started in matric. Okay. <laughs> if you look at me now, can you yeah. imagine I was ever in matric? But I started in matric, so can you imagine all, all, everything I've written down? Everything has been written down. All my reviews amazing. were written by hand. And those books, those books are sitting on a shelf? Yes. I sold many of them because they became too much. When the internet entered my life, yeah. I had, let's say... 15 films about uh, books about screenwriting. Yes. And now you can go anywhere on the internet and see how to write a script. So I would sure. keep one or two, like the basic plot lines, I think, or the seven rules of cinematography or that kind oh, of thing. Oh, you mean these are keep. other people's books? No, my books. Your books. My yeah, books, because yeah. You, you wrote uh, one, of our, one of the first times I ever met you was Seeing Sense. Mm. So you came in um, for a class or yes. two. I don't think you did too many lectures but you came in and, and gave me one of the pearls of my of my film studies career well i'm honored look where you now <laughs> <laughs> thanks but i've i've quoted you a few times on the show and and it's the very simple way of of reviewing a film which was that do you come out a different person yes i always i was asked once on television when there were 40 seconds left before the news and I was live. And I was suddenly asked 40 seconds before the news, what is a good film? And I thought, how do you expect me to answer that in 40 seconds? Yeah. I can talk about for 40 hours yeah. what's a good movie. And then 
that came to me. It just came to me and I realized the person who exits the cinema must be different from the person who entered the cinema. Sometimes you're more bored than you were. Yeah. Other times you are ecstatic. Let's say like with poor things, you gobsmacked. Yeah. You don't know where you are. Yeah. Like the zone of interest, you stumble out of there and you think, what has just happened to me? Yeah. Or you yeah. see Saltburn and you think, I've never seen anything quite like that. Yeah. And I would love to take that film home with me and sleep with it. Yeah, it's very interesting. No, you, I remember you saying it. Do you come out angry? Do you come out hornier? Do you come out energized? And I, I've, I've kept with that because there's been a few times when you look back and go, wait, what did I do this morning? Or what was that movie that we watched? And you go, well, that's clearly not a good movie. So, so yeah, so here you are. Thank you for the visit. And I think there's obviously just, decades of of <laughs> knowledge to get through but you know we'll, we'll we'll chat through what we can but you have written a bunch of books yes but I've, also fiction books as well yes, hey? fiction books i've just written a book a year ago called Druckspiel press play yeah which i wrote for teachers because i frequently go to schools i don't do that as often now i'm, I'm just too tired to do that but i go to schools and then i notice that with not all of them, but with many of the schools, the teachers is, are the problem. In terms of the film studies? In, 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 yes, film yeah. studies. Because they do not know films. I caught teachers showing Seven de Lan episode 7040 as an example of film. Yeah. And then I would say to them, but I mean, it's, it's soap. There's nothing of film in there. Mm. You should watch films. And then they say, oh, I don't go to the by scope anymore i haven't been there for 10 years and i said yeah. and you are lecturing film for and you, students and you meant to inspire uh, yes, them meant yeah. to inspire especially kids and then they say but they do not know or understand how to analyze a film okay. and then i would get let's say a hundred of them together and i would take two or three hours and i would show them excerpts and i would freeze frame and explain and explain yeah and then i could see their eyes glistening and their mouths falling open Mm. And they said, we never realized in one shot there's so much to see. It's Let amazing. alone in yeah. all the shots. Uh, yeah. So then I wrote this for them and I said, this is how you lecture about cinematography, the importance of cinematography, let alone the other 15 elements. Yeah. The cinematography, because the, the cinematographer uses a camera like we use a pen or a brush. Yeah. And let's just see how he works. Uh, and, and it's so difficult to explain that to them, and I can't always do that. So I wrote the book, and I spoke to them on Saturday. And after I spoke, a hundred books sold. Okay. Almost all the books that were there Lovely. of mine. Yeah. And I thought, something has happened. Something remarkable has happened. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't really write to youngsters anymore now because they are so cinema literate. I mean, if you had, to go, yeah, you yeah. had to go to university now, you'd be so cinema literate. Uh, because of the internet, and, because yeah. of Netflix or whatever. But what, something you might appreciate just at this point when you talk about cinema literacy is that you've got young people making TikTok videos. And a lot of what makes the TikToks fun for the world is basic filming cinematography tricks, you know, which they were experimenting and groundbreaking 100 years ago where it was like a jump cut or if you cut on motion – you know, that's editing 101, that that you want to do some motion, you can get away with cutting it, and then it transitions into something else. And this is like 
basic TikToking 101. I so think, it's interesting that, yes. that kids are learning these editing techniques, whether they know they are or not. I think TikTok is a self-taught film school. It is. In yeah. other words, you can only, I, I think I said to you, you can only learn film by doing it. Yeah. I can stand there and talk to you for hours and I can teach you to analyze, but I want to teach you to make a film. Yeah. Why do you cut from one shot to another? I think the Battleship Potemkin is the best example or uh, the Godfather, the, the famous christening scene. Uh, are the best examples of fantastic montages. What happens in the famous christening scene? Just the christening the scene is, is is you have Michael standing there with his baby, which is going to be who is going to be christened. By the way, that's Sofia Coppola as a baby. Oh, yeah. And he's standing there with her, and he looks down at her, and the priest says to him, "Do you renounce Satan and all his evil deeds?" And then they suddenly cut to a gun, mm. cut back to him with a baby. Cut to the baby smiling. Cut back to a man whose eye is being shot out. Cut to a woman who's crying. Cut to a man yeah. who's screaming. Cut back to the church. Mm. I mean, those images seem to have nothing, nothing to do with each other. Yeah. But what Michael is doing is he's eliminating all his enemies while the christening is taking place. And he gave um, orders to his lieutenants. All of this was happening all of at, this the, was time. Happening at yeah, the same time. Right. So you yeah. have things happening at the same time. But they intercut. Usually you would yeah. have all the murders separate and you will have the christening separate. But it's important but to mention it's, that it's happening at yeah, this time. It's, it's this happening at the time. Moment. And that juxtaposition of those two, the baby smiling and an eye popping out of a socket. Yeah. Uh, is when he says, do you renounce the mm. deeds of Satan? Yeah. And he says, yes, and out pops the eye. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah, instance, yeah. you know. Lovely, the, 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 that's un something you can only do in film. You yeah. can't even do that in, uh, 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 yeah, not even in a book or in, yeah, I think you can do it in a comic strip, but you can almost only do that in film. Yeah, yeah, I guess you. Um, you've also had an incredible radio career. You, you, you were reading the news at one point, eh? Yes, I started as an announcer, Russell, in 1975. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine that. And then um, they had something called Flickerbrick which is a movie column, yeah. which an old colleague of mine who was about 60 presented. Okay. And he would just say, oh, I saw, oh, let us say, The Sting. And yeah. it, was, it was very entertaining. The cinematography was good. Fantastic acting. You can go and see it, full stop. Yeah. And I listened to that and I thought, but that's not the way that mm. you get people to yeah. get into a cinema or analyze a film. Yeah. And after about seven months, he walked past me in the corridor one day and he said, and then he uh, uh, remembered my name and he said uh, Leon and I said yes sir and he said would you like to take over the movie column and I said yes gladly yeah. and, and that's this when was I on, started uh, 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 RSG uh, which, which was then the Afrikaanse Dienst van Radio Sud Afrika yeah. which is now RSG yeah. And then I started there. It's got a big listenership. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously yeah, very big back then, but it's yeah. also retained a very it's, big... It's retained 1.3 million. Then I think it was about 3 million people. Yeah. So and, and I noticed that, and so did the radio station, that as I spoke to the listeners and as I talked about the movies, I talked in such a way that it was entertaining to them. They always said to me, we listen to you as entertainment. Yeah. And then we pick up 
what's yeah. happening in the film and we pick up what you're trying to say and then we go to the cinema. But you force us to listen to you. The yeah. other man just talked and we switched off. Yeah. But the way that you talk to us. You've got like uh, a, a sort of a tone in the way. I think it you... was a tone, but I think I also didn't use high words, highbrow words. Yeah. So I wouldn't say the film is esoteric or something like that. They wouldn't yeah, yeah. understand what that was. Yeah. I would just say the film communicates with you on an emotional level or you will mm. cry while you watch this or you will not yeah. believe your eyes or something like that. Yeah. And they love those phrases. And yeah. that's how, how I started. And you've acted a little bit. You've you've mm. mostly been a presenter. No a presenter. I present you, a lot. But but, but I'm saying act. like some of the some of the acting roles. It was fun to see you were always credited as the announcer because <laughs> they obviously sort of credit. They wanted you to act to sort of announce because they knew how yeah. well you could announce. I was I was also the announcer, always the announcer, or I was uh, the undertaker, or I was the yeah. dominey. Yeah, that's usually what they used me for because people see me and think I'm very, very formal. Okay, uh, but I think once you've seen me in front of a class, yeah. that formality disappears. Yeah, because then I speak to people that I like to speak to and that understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So we at the Bioscope um, take great joy in doing screenings with um, schools where they come and watch their set works, and I just love the fact that two of the films that have ever come up as set work films are films you were involved in. Yes. They're two so, stories of mine, Wolvenhaus and Ischemer and Ballade for Enkeling. Yeah. I, so I, yeah, Ballade you wrote and produced. I wrote and produced. Wolvenhaus I just wrote. Because uh, Vol- Wolvenhaus was first. It was a, first and then Ballade came. It was a radio play, right? It was right? a radio play in 1980. Yeah, that you wrote. Yeah, a radio serial that ran for 420 episodes. Yeah, it's lovely. <laughs> um, so then when Volvedance, what, what, what does that mean in English? Sorry. Uh, oh, that's a very difficult name to describe in English. It literally means the dance of the wolf in the dusk. Okay. It sounds very formal, okay, very but it's clumsy. A, it's a, poe- but, it's yeah, a poetic, poetic name. Volvedance it's... and sounds better. And then on that, you wrote that. I wrote that and okay. I, I directed it as a radio serial. Okay, and then it became a TV series. You didn't direct the film. No. Okay. Um, but what I love, and I'll tell you, I've taken great joy in sitting in the projection booth or by the projection booth where that's our office. And it's usually in the mornings when these school kids come. And especially for Volvodance, <laughs> is that I get to hear their reactions throughout the movie. And then there's certainly a moment, or a couple of moments, where they are shrieking from. <laughs> It's like a scary moments, right? Yeah, scary moments. I tried not to make it too scary. Otherwise, the age restriction would be too high. Yeah. So I subdued some of the horror uh, Oh, moments. really? But let me tell you, it's like, you know, it's just so great hearing that because we haven't, we don't necessarily screen that much horror at the bioscope and perhaps and I'm, I'm not always around when the movies are playing. I, I kind of very much manage during the day and leave it to our cinema events managers. But it's just one of those that whenever we've screened it, it's been so lovely to hear that reaction. And I just think that like, and I know that you were involved and I just remember thinking like you understand story. Yes. And you I, understand the genre because you've just watched so many movies. You know what works and it's just so nice to see it pay off. I remember, pay off. I remember when it was on radio, that was really scary because there you could go a bit over the top because you couldn't see. 
Yeah. And if the murders were committed or whatever okay, happened, perhaps your imagination, yeah, could your imagination be more scarier. Was, was scarier. And I remember parents told me that kids screamed and shrieked when they listened, and I thought, wow, now I've achieved something. Oh, but well it was usually through sound effects, yeah. which the film didn't really use. The director didn't use the kind of sound effects I use. Yeah, but the sound effects scared people. Yeah. Um, what keeps you busy now? I know you move with things coming and going. What's exciting you at the moment? <laughs> uh, I've just finished filming Dadurni uh, Flick, which means what is Dur in English in the past, way past in the movies, where I talked about the hundred years of Afrikaans cinema. But I was okay. filming now the last five episodes up till 2023. A TV show a about a hundred years Cagnet, of, yes. of Afrikaans cinema. Thirty episodes, and I shot Ooh. the last five now, and they screened on Cagnet on November and December, and I ended 2023 with the Tragische Saak von Vermaak, which opens today on box office. So I spoke to about a hundred role players in the industry. Many of them yeah. are dead now. Yeah. I remember there was a rumor going. Around when I started doing this show in 2011, do not speak to Leon van Nero because shortly after you spoke to him, you will die. Uh, <laughs> especially <laughs> if you're old. Yeah, yes, yeah. and I, I tried to get all the old ones before okay. they died okay. so that I could get all that info out of them. But what was funny about it is many of them forgot what they did. So I oh, first wow. of all had to brief them. And I would say to them, and uh, let's say, yes, my lifelong, remember that scene in the Jeep when you drove? And the actress would sit and say, not really. And I said, but you were grabbing the steering wheel, but you were turning the steering wheel around and around all the time, but yet you stayed straight on the yeah, road. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yes, you remember. And then she told me funny stories. So it, it, it was fun doing it. But That's lovely. To compare, but what a nice testament. Yeah. I mean, what a nice um, thing to have. Thing to have. Yeah. But to compare the older crowd up till 1980, Katinka Heinz changed it. But up till Katinka Heinz and up till Dani Bester in 2007, I was a It was a completely different generation up till 2007. From 2007 to now, if you speak to Nico Skippers about Donkerbos, or you speak to Etienne Fury about Stikait, it, it's, it's like a different world. It's like a completely different culture that has started. And they are so cinema literate that the problem when I interview them is for me to keep quiet and give them chance to speak because I want to talk all the time and he want, they want to talk to me. Yeah. And we just want to have a conversation and we must remember there are cameras on us and I can't interrupt all the time. Oh, yeah. So I must give them chance to speak. But all the time I can see myself, I want to interrupt and say, and I realize it's not about me, oh, it's yeah. about them. So how, how, so how long has this show been going? Uh, it's been going since 2011. So every year they would have five or ten episodes. And in November, December, the last five. Okay, and the show is called again? Dardur and Iflik. Meaning uh, in the past in the movies, okay. way in the past in the movies. And have you always been involved in that show? Always been involved from the beginning. I produced it, I wrote it, I presented it, I chose all the inserts. Can you imagine? Yeah. There were about 250 Afrikaans films. And before the internet, you had to sit at CakeNet or MNet, it was even before MNet's time, or CakeNet's time, and you had to choose interviews and scenes from rolls of film that yeah. were on a, 
a big, oh, wow. what would you call that? Uh, yeah, like a big editing desk. Editing, editing desk. You'd have to look and stop and write 11.13, first words, Eket jou lief, 12.17, Ek gaan jou doodmaak, last words. Mm. But the worst of it all was to watch the really, really bad, bad films. Because can I tell you that some Afrikaans films yeah. were so bad <laughs> that once I was watching it at the... Uh, Pretoria Museum and Trevor Moses who was there showed to me the Babel Schroeder story which was made in 1959 and I watched one reel and I jumped up and I ran to the door and I said please let me out yeah. but then I noticed that he had locked the door Ooh, no. and he said to me you will watch until the end oh, that is your job yeah. and that was one of my most difficult sit downs and watching that film till the end uh, because you can see all the mistakes obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were they were made on a shoestring budget and what was it called what was the film uh, called the Babel Schroeder story oh, Babel Schroeder story okay. you will not know her she was supposed to be an actress but she was murdered uh, because she apparently according to the film slipped away into the movies does that okay. sound familiar to many people yeah. and then she was murdered and uh, who, who killed her Okay. And somebody decided to make a film about it. But what you do not know, Russell, and that yeah. you can thank your lucky stars for, yeah. is I started with high censorship, a high degree of censorship. There was a film called Jakos Dreise Mensa by Franz Marx that had three swear words in it. The one was damn, mm -hmm. the one was bloody, And I can't remember what the third one was. And the yeah. entire film was banned because of those three words. Wild. That's where I come from. Yeah. And I remember when the first F word was ever used in cinema. Um, in South, Af in in South, South African film? No, in Hollywood film because uh, they always cut it out. Uh, We had the censor board addressing us as critics and saying to us, you are now going to hear something on screen, 1979. And Justice for All, I think, was the film. Uh, Al Pacino, and uh, something you have never heard before. But mm. they didn't want to say what the word was. And we all sat and we thought, so we use it every day of our lives? Yeah. <laughs> there was the word. And did South Africa tumble down? No, because of one word. But an interesting, <laughs> interesting. thing I must tell you, when I started as a critic in 1975, in, uh, you, because you now have the, uh, the, the wonderful privilege of having previews, We started previews in the Coliseum in Johannesburg. Mm. And I came in, but it was a small little cinema next to the Coliseum or under the Coliseum. And I entered and the lady said to me, because I, I, I brought my invitation, you know, that Sharon, for instance, sent yes, to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I said, here's my invitation. And she said, my goodness, and he's brought his invitation. Like I was a little 10-year-old boy. Yeah. And I said, well, here I am and I want to sit down. She said, no, 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 you can't sit down. And I said, you mean I have to stand and watch it? She said, no, every critic has his own chair. And you cannot sit down until they've all sat down. And they were 15 big, big names. Okay. The Sunday Times, the Sunday Tribune, the Sunday whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I had to stand there and wait for an open chair and then went to sit down. And I promise you, Russell, for six months they did not speak to me. I was not worthy to be spoken to. That's because so, I wasn't so important silly. enough. I wasn't important enough. And by previews, you 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 meaning yeah, the ability to watch yeah, a to movie watch a film beforehand before it comes out yeah, with the critics. Yeah. And they were all sitting making notes and 
but also drank a lot. Many of them drank a lot. And I must tell you, of all of them who were there, none of them are still alive. I'm the only one who's still alive, <laughs> literally. Were they older than you? Or were oh, you yes, they were of... older than me. They were okay. all older than me. So they thought, who's this young upstart yeah. who's coming in here now? And then I started appearing on television, and then they started noticing me. And then I was worthy to be spoken to. <laughs> so silly. I'm very intrigued by places like the Coliseum. Oh, these, these those old, old, old cinemas. Old Joburg yes. cinemas, because the Coliseum was big. It could take thousands. Uh, it could take about 1,500. The biggest cinema was the Metro in Plain Street, which could take 2,250. And I attended. In Plain Street, in, in Joburg. Plain, yeah, in Joburg. And I attended a screening of. Um, I'm trying to remember which one. It was Ryan's Daughter, and it was full. I got mm. the last seat. Yeah. So I was part of 2,250 wow. people watching a film. Because our biggest cinema in this country now is what? Perhaps um, Monte Cassino? I think Monte Cassino is El Grande. And might, what is might that? Might be the biggest. I think that's about 600, 700. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. But remember, we I come from His Majesty's, 2,000 people. Um, yeah, His Majesty's was century, another one. Yeah. 2,100 people. And with airport, for instance, in His Majesty's, it was sold out. Aeroplane? Um, so, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, airplane. It was called Airport, 1970. Oh. And of okay. a thousand days, all those old films oh, that you will not know about or, or okay. even dare to remember. Oh, I saw all of them and it was such a privilege for me to be taken by my parents to yeah. the cinema yeah. and we had to wear suits i had to wear a tie okay. and a jacket and a suit in order to be allowed into his majesty's on a friday evening at eight o'clock wow okay all right well let's let's do our little dial back here because we like to go through your life and i think perhaps now is a good time to to <laughs> mention it so we've got the four great loves which are the your, your four um films that have come to you at certain points in your life and perhaps um you in a little suit going to the cinema is perhaps almost where we start. But um, you grew up in Brackpan. Brackpan. Okay. And so, um, and so our first film is um, is the Puppy Love film, which is which is the youngest think, first film you could remember. Did any? I don't think you can call this a Puppy Love film. It was the Ten Commandments okay. by Cecil B. DeMille. Okay. So I was about four years old. Was beginning to learn English but couldn't understand it so I remember I sat there on my mother's lap and every time somebody said something I said to her what did he say I can't understand she eventually had to take me out because I just couldn't stop talking yeah. and I realized I had to learn English quickly in order to see films because mm. the Ten Commandments just fascinated me the parting of the Red Sea seeing yeah. just Christ's legs not anything more uh, seeing the bush burning, all of that. Yeah. For a four or five-year-old boy who didn't even have television, we didn't have television in those days, yeah. who'd never seen a film, that was an incredible experience. And the Grand had a huge, huge screen. And I was mesmerized by it. The Grand. The Grand Theater in Brackpine. It's still standing, but now at the moment it is a shoe store or something. Yeah. yeah. And I remember the next film I saw was The Nun's Story, and it took place in an asylum. I don't know what my parents were thinking by taking me to a film that took place in an asylum. Yeah. And I was so scared in that film that for three, four, five months I could not sleep. 
yeah. because of what I saw there. Yeah. And every time I thought, I never want to land in an asylum. Yeah. Asylum yeah. was the worst thing <laughs> possible for me. So those yeah. were my, my, my very first films. Okay, lovely. And uh, good old Brackpan, hey? <laughs> mm. the, the Far East. I remember, <laughs> yeah. I remember a guy once um, saying, uh, saying he, he grew up in the Far East. And I, uh, and I said, what, like Asia? And he's like, no, no, Brackpan. <laughs> but remember, we had a driving theater about two kilometers from us. I think the, there's a big mall now or a casino mm-hmm. there at the moment. Uh, the Brackpan driving, that's where I saw most of my films. Because I used to talk so much, and you know that I hate anybody saying a word in a cinema. Mm. But because as a child I talked so much and trying to ask people what was happening, my parents eventually took me in a car to okay. go and see certain things. And I remember my father saw the film Exodus. He saw it advertised Exodus, and off we went. And as we sat down, it was Leon Uris's Exodus. It wasn't the Exodus of the Bible. It was the Exodus of the Israelites or the Jews uh. trying to find their new land. And my father was furious because he was expecting to see Moses. Yeah. And then he saw Paul Newman. Okay. <laughs> so I, I remember all those days. Lovely. Okay. Um, we grew up a little bit more now. We're in high school. Where did we go to high school? Well, in high school... Uh, it was great that my parents took me to films, especially my mum, that I was not supposed to see. Films, nobody under 12, films, nobody under 16. Yeah. Dr. Shivago was one of them. Okay. So Dr. Shivago was one of my more adult films, one of my most daring films. And there, I think, uh, with David Lean, looking at what David Lean did and looking what Boris Pasternak did with the, with the story and, of course, the scriptwriter with the story – that I started learning how to tell a story. Yeah. This happens, then that happens, why it's important to place this scene here, this scene can't come before that one. So structure then started to make sense to me as I watched the film. Uh, where did you go for high school? Uh, Stofberg, Wurzienskul Stofberg. Where is that? <laughs> In Brackburn. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, and what kind of a student were you? Did you... Play sports, do things, cultural? I was cultural. a bad student. Nobody liked me. I was a complete outcast. Oh, really? They thought I was crazy for liking films because I only talked about films. Nobody could talk about films with me. Okay. Uh, nobody even looked at me. Uh, I became used to it also in the critic circle at the beginning. And then I went to Stanbosch University and I studied drama. And for the first time I saw there are people like me. There are mm. actually people like me. And I suddenly opened up. And that started my career where I'm now. Yeah. It's the fact that I entered drama school. I remember quoting movies and things like that in high school and, and friends going like, what they, they, they tolerated about? me, but they yeah. were sort of like, it's a bit weird. Yes. And I, was, and I remember just thinking like, okay, you're my friends. Life's cool. Like high school was fine. Um, I enjoyed it. I was sort of friends with everyone. But I was like, I am looking forward to Varsity where... I'm going to be around a, a few more like-minded people. I was ready, you know, by matric, I was like, I'm ready to kind of leave you guys behind, yeah. The same with me it was in 1971. The first, I was first year then, the first film I saw there was in a place called the Stelbu, which was really a bug house, a flea pit. This is now uh, Adversity. Cinema Adversity. They, Where did you study? Uh, Stanabosch. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And I saw West Side Story. Said, yeah. I saw West Side Story, but then you had a bunch of Afrikaans boys who 
didn't understand what was going on, why these men were dancing and doing what they're they fighting, did. but they're dancing. And they're fighting yeah. and they're dancing. And they and the boys in the cinema screamed and shouted. And I thought I wanted to hear Leonard Bernstein's wonderful music and yeah. watch it, and I couldn't. They were throwing things at the screen. They were going crazy. Yeah. And shortly after that, they showed Women in Love where the, where the first full frontal male nude scene. Hey. Uh, and I thought, what is happening? And everybody shouted and screamed, ah, when they saw that. It was a huge moment. So that was my introduction to real adult films. Okay. And to D.H. Lawrence, of all people, Women in Love, Midnight Cowboy uh, yes. came out that time. And I thought there's something like people being gay. Yeah. What is that? Really? Yeah. Uh, I remember I watched Midnight Cowboy now in, in lockdown. There was, I used that as a chance. I don't know whether you were, listen, maybe you're not the same. You've watched so many. But for me, I was like, there's a handful of movies I need to catch up on. You know, there's ones that you kind of put off or there's the ones that you should watch, right? That, that you should watch. You know, there's a handful where it's like, if you want to call yourself a cinema owner, you should, be watch, you should have watched these by now. I think that's perhaps better, the, the better phrasing. You should have seen it by now. And uh, yeah, Midnight Cowboy was one of those ones that I watched, which was also like, yeah, it's the bad yeah, New York. It's about yeah, bad, bad New York, Schlesinger. About him being a hustler. Yeah, he, he was, was the a guy. Hustler. He was the main guy. John Voight. John Voight. John Voight. And Voight. Dustin a, Hoffman. And Dustin Hoffman, and obviously. Dustin Hoffman giving perhaps his best performance when he was still not as mannered and as self-conscious as he is today. Yeah, the famous, uh, I'm walking here. I'm, I'm walking here, here, which was an improvisation, of course. Yeah, yeah that was improvised. Right, right. I, I, I remember when I went to... Overseas for the first time in 1977 in London. Then I realized I know nothing about cinema because 60% films were banned. I heard the name Fellini. I heard the name Bergman. Yeah. I heard about The Exorcist, but I've never seen it. And then oh. I went on a crash course and all of those films were showing in second release houses or art cinemas. And I took a crash course on Bergman, a crash course on Fellini. Can you imagine uh, being confronted by all those fantastic images by people like Bergman and Fellini mm. and, and not quite understanding what you were seeing? Yeah. Then I started buying books, reading up about them, trying to see as much as I could because there were many retrospectives. So I sometimes sat through three, four of their films a day. And people said to me, what were you doing in London in 1977? I said, I was in the cinema the whole time. Yeah. They thought about the cinema as, in the old days, a bioscope kind of had a bad, yeah, bad sound to it. Well, it's more just like yeah. it's, it's a yeah. date night or yeah. it's a, yeah. if you've got nothing to do, you and go and do that. They said the bioscope yeah. in London and I said, but I saw Eight and a Half. Yeah. You know, I saw Cries and Whispers, but that was 74. Uh, yeah, Cries and Whispers was 74. Yeah. So I saw Cries and Whispers then. What um, took you to London? Well, I decided to go and see cinema. I wanted okay, to go to. It was your to, own personal choice. It was my trip. own personal choice to go and see movies. Okay, and this was in what year? 1977. Okay, so we're still in the big hold of apartheid, yeah. big hold of censorship. Can you imagine me seeing Emmanuel for the first time? Oh, seeing yeah. The Exorcist for the first time? Yeah. Remember now, The Exorcist people often laugh at it. I don't understand how they can laugh at that masterpiece. But they still but laugh just the at che it. Yeah, the yeah. cheesiness of it's, it, I it guess. Seemed, yeah. For them, it's cheesy, but, but for me, it's not. But you have to remember what that must have been like <sighs> at To the see time. that head-spinning scene for the first time. To hear that voice, yeah. to hear that dialogue that Linda Blair had yeah. uh, was, was so shocking that I, I literally stumbled out of that cinema. I promise you, Russell, 
that people were carried out on stretchers from that cinema yeah. in London. There were there were nurses and doctors in the foyer, and people were treated for had panic attacks. Yeah, yeah. And they had to be sedated. I saw it with my own eyes. It's yeah. not an urban legend. No, of course, it happened. And and you can just see these these moments in cinema. The very first, one of the very first films ever shown in the earliest earliest of cinema when it wasn't even necessarily a fun entertainment it was a sort of a, a marvel of science yeah. right that An you could experiment, do experiment there was a there was one little scene of a train arriving at the station and very famously everyone in the audience got up and clambered and they collapsed they, 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 they fell ran. out of their seat because they, they thought this out. train was actually yes. going to come and you of course you <laughs> laugh at it now but imagine yeah. seeing that for the first time it, it was the first train robbery uh, and there was a, there was a shot of a man turning a gun right at the audience mm. and firing and the gun going off and people fainted yeah that was the first really violent scene in cinema was yeah. that scene in the first great train robbery so okay so could we perhaps put london as your sort of varsity post varsity no. Uh, no no okay no. so so what is the okay so high school what did we say uh, high school was Dr. Zhivago, it was Chivago, okay. airport, it was that kind of thing. But in 1974, in my final year, Ike showed a film called 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. And I've heard about Stanley Kubrick. I haven't seen his A Clockwork Orange yet. It was banned. Yes. Yeah. I have saw Lolita heavily cut. And then 2001 was showing in a student lecture hall. Yeah, and it was skew. The, I remember the, the the images were skew, and they were still fidgeting with the sound. And that wonderful scene in the beginning, where all the apes are jumping up and down in a movie yeah. and screaming, yeah, yeah. It was all skew. <laughs> it was almost like poor things now. Yeah, yeah, and I looked at that, and then finally they got it all together, just as the ape threw the bone in the air, and it yeah. turned into a spaceship. And when that bone turned into an airship, my life changed forever in cinema. I okay. thought I've never seen anything like that. And thus spoke Zarathustra, was then there and suddenly turned into the Blue Danube. Yeah. And I, I, then I knew this. This is it. This is it. This is well, what I'm in love with. Well, that, that category of film um, in these sort of the great four loves that we have here, that's the It's Getting Serious yes. film, which is, you know, the relationships that you might have been having at that time were just that much more serious. It's like it was about moving in with each other or you know this could be the person or who knows but life is serious it's, it's not just a crush anymore it's not just a it's not just a little puppy love holding your hand so it makes sense that kubrick comes to you at kubrick, that point absolutely and then i saw a clockwork orange in paris and i went to a cinema in paris and it was showing in french and you know the french not all of them of course but they are uh <laughs> They are, they are quite rude. Sure. They're famous for being rude. And I stood at the box office and I said to the woman, one for a clockwork orange, and she chased me away because I couldn't speak English. And that's when the first time... And you couldn't speak French. Because I speak, couldn't speak French. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was the first time I realized, I will watch that film. And I said to her in English, I will watch this film and you will give me a ticket. Just and because you weren't speaking, speaking, just because yeah, you weren't English. speaking English. And she gave me a, she gave me a ticket, yeah. and I went in. What do you mean? Are you meant to yes. say it in French? Fuck yeah, I've, yeah I've, I've, now I can say it in French, but I mean then I thought you just say, so uh, 
uh, Clockwork Orange, the Orange Mechanique. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget being in a in a very busy train station with my family in Paris, and you know, even if you know what you want on a menu. When the waiter comes, you still like to subconsciously find it on the menu and point to it mm. while you say it, right? It's just like, it's one of those things that your brain does. And this guy eventually came to our table to take our order. And I said, I'd like, and then I sort of was stumbling to find it. Bro had fucked off. Yeah. Yeah. He'd fucked off. He'd gone off to another table, yeah. and now we had to wait another 10 minutes for him to come back. Yeah. But <laughs> I just yes. thought, okay, yeah. we can get away with being that rude. Okay. But she, she was caught in a box office, uh, literally a, yeah. in a little office, yeah. and I just shouted at her. I just thought I will attack this woman, but she will not prevent me yeah. from seeing this film. I remember watching it at, also in, in a sort of varsity early career going, I need to watch this movie. And I mean – Clockwork Orange to this day still slaps in many ways. It's it's like that 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 one rape singing scene. Singing in the rain, singing in the rain. It's scene. horrible. It's yes. like it's it's yeah. quite something. So it's I'd imagine still, that today at this, still uh, graphic. Yeah. So I'd imagine at that time that must have been quite a thing. Eh? It was a huge shock, and I saw it in French, of course. Couldn't understand a word, but I knew the story. Yeah. I knew what was going on. Had you read the book? Or? Yes, I read the book. There was a there was a yeah yeah, yeah. of course there was a book. Yeah. Clockwork Orange. Anthony Burgess. Yeah, I that's think. right. Uh, so I knew the story, okay. but I, I still wanted to hear what they were saying. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't understand it. Then later on, it was unbanned in South Africa in 1981, 82, somewhere. And then I went to see A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Did you ever have anything to do with Mini Cine One? Do you remember that? I remember place? Mini Cine One, but I didn't really go there quite that often. You see, the thing with me, Russell, is I saw everything before it showed at second release houses or other cinemas. Yeah. So I'd seen everything. So I very seldom went to the cinema, which sounds ironic now, yeah. but I saw everything then before mm. it went to the cinema. But so we, we, you were watching really, them in cinemas or where did I you were watch? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, there were preview theaters. There were preview theaters. They were all down a, now. A theater, a theater specifically made. Small as this, yes. As small as this. Yeah. Like UIP's preview theatre. Oh, got yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of preview theatre. Okay, so like in the offices of In the, the offices of Stad Kinikor. Uh, okay. And because I remember I still saw Kinikor and Stad. They were still Yeah, that's right. They were two still, different still businesses. Different businesses, yeah. That's correct. Um, well, people have started talking to me about Mini Cine. One, every now and again, someone tells me about it. And the little bit that I can see, it seems to remind me quite a lot of the Bioscope. It seems to have a very similar single place you know because it was called mini cine one it was just one cinema it was in this kind of yeah. cool hillbrow in its day kind of vibe you know what was the cool cinema that's one like this is the victory in orange grove the okay. victory in orange grove is bigger than the cinema yeah but it was it had the same kind of atmosphere and okay. you saw old movies there greta garbo's silent films well you saw there grapes well, of wrath okay well there was an old chap who at one point ran it better nikki Mr. Bedeniki. Yeah. What was his first name? Aldo Bedeniki, I think. Eld Eldo, 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 Eldo. I think Eldo, yeah. I yes. Think so. so w when we started the Bioscope and we were starting to look at this as a serious business project, um, the, my business partner was Daryl Else, and he managed to find him. And we, we got together, and you can imagine this, where the Bioscope was still this – you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed idea. Yeah. And um, we were very serious about doing it. And we went to these old guys. And I remember we met them at their house. 
And uh, we didn't get much from them, <laughs> apart from them going, why, why do you want to do this? This is crazy. Why would you want to start your own independent cinema? You know, because the world at that point was just shopping mall multiplexes. Um, but we sort of got their sort of blessing and, and wishes. The one thing I got from them was, you know, you must make your seat sort of half a head higher for sight lines or something. You know, the, the victory wasn't you stared at a the back of a guy's head. Okay, sometimes yeah. the women wore, 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 wore hats. Yeah, he was like, just think about it. You've got to be half a head higher than the next one. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, but the the he the one of them, I think it Eldo. Was it Eldo? I think, but Bereniki was his. He had a he had an Italian name. Yeah, and he had a little cinema in his house. He'd converted one of his rooms to a cinema, and he'd put in some chairs. And he showed us that, and he was very proud of it. And then he welcomed us to come to his house on a certain day and uh, watch a movie. Because a whole bunch of old folk come and join. And, and, um, and we went to his house, and, and it was so great to, to see him take such pride in this screening. But and we we watched the sorry we watched the two coins and a fountain <laughs> yeah, three and coins three coins three sorry coins. I forget how many coins <laughs> and it starts with these um there were two great moments in this screening it starts with um, d- different shots of Rome you know like the fountain and things Trevi and, uh, fountain Trevi fountain and there was this old duck in front of me that said you know too loud she goes I've been there <laughs> I wanted to say to you I've been there too <laughs> yeah I mean, I've also been to Trevi fountain but I didn't want to announce it in this in this guy's screening there were about 12 13 people that could fit in his room and then of course at one point smack in the middle of the film it just pauses and the lights come on and that's for everyone to go to the toilet because <laughs> we all change reels we're all they? old no i don't know how oh. he did it it might have been digital at that no. point but he and then everyone went out for tea and scones and then we went in and watched that and i just thought it was just such a lovely person to have italo 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 that's italo, his name italo, italo. Berenike. but and but one one cinema you missed is the piccadilly in yeovil okay. uh, that was close because i used to live in yeovil as uh, when i just started working the Piccadilly in Yeovil was the same kind of cinema, bigger than this one also, but they also showed second or third release houses. Okay, the Piccadilly. As, 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 as okay. Piccadilly in Yeovil. Because I'm quite, I'm quite keen to try and find programs or posters or pictures or something, and I want to actually use a section of the lobby to show some of these. I want to show that the Bioscope fits in a history of other standalone cinemas. When we started, there were... There were almost none. Um, there was the Tari, which was this in downtown, and it, it, it was, the guy was making more money out of people sleeping in there at night. <laughs> you know, we were we were we said, "Oh, we're the only independent cinema." When we opened, and then we realized there's there's one or two. Labia. Oh yeah, but I'm talking in Joburg. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, Labia was great, and we went and and had long conversations with the Labia guys. They'd been going since, yeah, like the 70s. They've been going since I was a student. Mm. But when I was a student, it was still a theater. A theater where you saw plays. Okay. Yeah, I know. And you can see that it's still got a very theater look to it. Um, okay. But now we're, we've, okay, so we've, we've, we've perhaps put 2001 as our It's Getting Serious film. Now is a tricky one, which I think for you is perhaps a very difficult one, which is the film you could settle down with. And... 
you know, I think you've just met so many films in your life. There are it's, many. It's there very many. hard. So perhaps it's a combination of a handful, but yeah. what, what comes to you as, as some of the all-time of, of the all-time ones, I want to say to you in the modern times, I would like to s- sit down or settle down with Saltburn. Saltburn completely really? blew me away. Lovely. Very few people like it. No, I, I, see, is... I see where it came from. I, what, what I've said on the show is I find it amazing that a film like Saltburn penetrated as much as it did. You know, in the streaming era, um, it's very, and with so much content, it's very hard to stick out and actually be a topic of conversation at a braai or at a, you know, or what are you guys watching? People and, only talk about the bath scene. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just, it, but it just also shows you how sometimes you need to stick out and 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 you you get the feeling that the filmmaker was like we're going to be outrageous in this we're going to do this particular thing um it does service the story but it also is a thing that you just don't forget yes. you don't forget that moment it's the power of it i guess the other one that i want to tell you to show in this cinema that nobody has bought is anatomy of a fall Okay. Which has been nominated for five Oscars. I see that, it's, yeah. It's got the best script I've ever seen in a film. I, I haven't Anatomy seen it in, in, yeah, none of the distributors no. are, are, I have went, taken it. I went personally to all the distributors. I told them to buy it. None of them have listened to me. I w- did that five years ago and I said to them, you know, I saw this wonderful film called Parasite. Mm. It was really governed by Parasite and they all looked down at me. And then I went to the Chinese embassy or something and I said, contact Star Kirikor and tell them to buy Parasite, which was South a Korean Korea, film. Yeah, South Korean. South Korean film. And they bought it and they thought, oh, they're going to show it for a week. Wow. And this, and this, film, this, this film. Okay, happened. so Anatomy of a Fall is a, is a pick for you. Anatomy of a Fall. Where did fall. you see it? Uh, at the European, European Film Festival. Okay. European. I judged the European Film Festival, so I got a screener. So I could yeah. watch it over and over and over. Again. I know very little about it. Where, where was it made? Uh, it was made in France, okay. and it's a whodunit. Okay. Not a whodunit like foreign language. Uh, it's foreign language. It's French, but also English, because okay. the main character says later on when she lands in court, "I can't speak French properly," and then she goes into English. So it's part French, okay. part English. Okay, so that's your. That, is that your pick? For the Oscars uh, this year, is that your favorite? It, it, it will win best script, but that's it. Okay. It won't win anything else. Um, I think uh, Oppenheimer will win everything. Okay. Oppenheimer will win anything. Barbie, perhaps. Uh, Oppenheimer, I think. Okay, but of those best film pictures, would you say your favorite is Anatomy of a Fall? Anatomy of a Fall, definitely. Uh, there's another beautiful film called The Boys in the Boat, which currently yeah. is showing on YouTube. And that should have been nominated, as yeah. all of us strangers should have been shown. Yeah. There's such wonderful films now that nobody has bought. Boy- all of us strangers didn't even make the top ten yet. Yeah. So it showed for a week and it was gone. Oh, uh, Boys in the Boat is George Clooney. Hey? No, yeah, George Clooney. He, made. he directed he it. He directed it. It is a beautiful movie. It is like Chariots of Fire on a Boat. Okay. Mm, I saw it last night. Um, and it's on YouTube? It's on YouTube. Free, for free? Uh, yes, I saw it for free on YouTube. That was I, a, I, I, that I, was a legal. Consented. It was a legal thing. I I typed in YouTube, uh, the boys in the boat, and up it came, and it said, "Watch the movie," and it said one hour fifty nine minutes, and I thought, "Let press play," and I press play, and there it went. I wonder so I whether just, it was someone someone snuck it on. 
probably snort and smoke it on. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But yeah, that also hasn't come down the pipelines. Right. That's another one you should show, yeah. Mm. If you can get hold of it. Mm. The Boys in the Boat. Okay. Now, there are so many films I can tell you to buy for the cinema, but of course it's expensive. Easy for me to say buy Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. It costs a million dollar, a million rand or something. Yeah. It's going to be hard for us to, to try and be the distributor, but if someone else is doing it, then I at least know I must talk to that, I must do yeah. that film, I must look at and that And it film. won't show in cinemas for long. It will be like the zone of interest. I can tell you now that... It is one of the most difficult films I've ever seen. Yeah. I sat, watched it. I had an appreciation for it. I thought, what a brilliant, brilliant movie. But it felt like homework. It felt like I, know I what you had mean. to yeah. see it. But yeah. there was, I had a few problems with the film that I can't go into now. Mm. And that I thought that they went overboard with certain things. Mm. But it is something that you should see. And also, the first four minutes of the film... Is in total, total darkness. Yeah, it's just sound. No, so now four minutes. Can in you darkness. can you imagine me yeah. getting to grips with this new technology at the bioscope? So having to get these big files from these distributors, I've got to ingest them. You know, which is a verb I've never had to do for the last thirteen years. Before mm. we just copied. Mm. Now we're ingesting these big films. Then they come with a key. So this digital oh, file that I then keys. ingest that then unlocks this film. So now it's now it it's a film I can now play through this program and I've got this, you know, just getting picture and sound, you know, in my cinema with this new technology and here comes a film where it's in total darkness for the first Four a little bit too long than no. it should. And it there I am long. then I am mm. thinking, have I lost picture? <laughs> Everybody like, said, "Have I?" Yes, and and I thought, "No, no, no." I saw the logo in the beginning. No. You so hear I know the sounds. This. I know this is yes. not a mistake. I know no. my projector no. hasn't hasn't faulted on me. Mm. And but then, imagine an audience, Russell, an audience that doesn't know it, an audience that comes here. And you will have to tell them beforehand. Yes, and I four minutes of and darkness. I immediately thought, okay, so for zone of interest, this is how it starts. It's one of the Oscar films. Um, but I thought, I'm. It's it's gonna. There are gonna be people that are gonna come out and go and say, "I think your projector's not working," because it starts in this darkness, and then the moment it turns on, you you get it and you sort of see the pacing and you see why. But it's a very yeah, it's a very artistic film in that sense. But the distributors warned us when we came for a preview and said uh, the first four minutes is in total darkness, and they said because when they saw it, they thought the projector had broken down, but then they looked back. They saw that there was still something coming out of the projector yeah. and there was sound. But what was wrong? Did somebody put his hand in front of the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was happening? So if we didn't know that, yeah. I would have gotten up. I remember when Barry Ronger was still alive, when something was wrong in a cinema within the first 30 seconds, he, he got, was up. He, got he was up. up and he ran and he would have run out of that cinema yeah. and said, where's the projectionist? Yeah. <laughs> I'm also that. I'm that first person to get up to say, guys, yes. come, you've got to fix this. You've got to do that. Lovely. But warn the people when they come to your cinema. That's a to good point. It. No, I think I think we did, and I'm just a reminder to perhaps just not forget that because yeah. perhaps after the or fourth when they buy or a ticket, screening, we ever that you you are not necessarily always here, mm. so that the person who sells the tickets, yeah, tells that just to just them. says something. Um, but what are what are some of the all time favorites? Um, Alien, Alien, the first Alien. There okay, has so you, never you, been anything like it. You didn't skip again. a beat. You you went. You gave it to me straight away. That's <laughs> your that's your one. Jaws. I sure. saw Jaws again um, recently. 
Did you see um, the that there was like that IMAX reissue? No, I didn't see like, that. I yeah. was I was so sorry I didn't see that. Okay. But 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 that was one of my favorites. All Spielberg's films and I met Spielberg. Now I'm name dropping. No, please but do. I, I, tell I me some him. of the tell me some of the highlights. I met him. I I went to San Francisco. I was flown there. Did you? I wasn't. Didn't go there myself. Why would I manage to pay for that? And I was sitting in a studio, and you know, everybody was running around with three cameras on me. And I interviewed Steven Spielberg about Hook. Oh, and so this is when you you, you know, still when we could still go as the press to interview. Yes. Directors and and this is this is when they are sitting when they are sitting in in one place yes. and then the press yeah. come in the and press out come in and you interview them on a personal and they'll level do all the time. they'll do twenty yes. of these interviews a day yes. or twenty even or more them. yeah and Spielberg I was the first for Spielberg and I remember I sat like I do now in the chair and I was shivering lit- literally from fright yeah. I thought I'm going to meet this big man I've got all these stupid little questions here yeah. and I hate when I interview it like with you you don't look down at a paper and say and what is your favorite color yeah. you know yeah. so so I tried to get some intelligent questions and as I sat there and and I heard people counting down and I felt a hand on my shoulder yeah. and a voice said to me would you like some tea yeah. I said now the yeah. voice said yes wait you can have mine and this person gave me the tea with the tea back in it and said, let me take the tea back out for you. And he took the tea back out. And I thought, who's this wonderful person there? And I looked up, it was Steven Spielberg. He was offering you he tea. He was offering me tea. And he sat down and he talked to me. How long did you get with him? I got about five minutes with him. I overran and mm. everybody was saying to me, stop, stop, stop. And he waved to them and said, let him speak, let him speak. Aww. So that's the kind of person he was. That's, what that's, a wonderful the, hero, man. that's the hero you want. That's uh, a wonderful man. Um, just outside the, the room that we're in now, just outside the cinema, is a, is a very sweaty, gushy me with the Foo Fighters. And I also had like five minutes in a, in a meet and greet. And, and, you know, why they've been my all-time favorite band, but we screened the documentary that Dave Grohl made about the famous studio in LA called Sound City. So I got to think about what I was going to say and my my opener was so I own a cinema and we were the only cinema in the country to screen Sound City, and um, which is true, and that got me a nice big hug oh, out fantastic. the gate. And it was like that's I what hope you, you want. Got that on camera. Uh, no, but I've got the photo. <laughs> and 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 when I left, it was shame so sweet. As I walked out, you know, and then the next person comes in, he said something like, uh, that, that, uh, "He's so cool, like he owns a cinema," and I remember thinking like. This is how I want to leave it. Like, arguably the coolest man, the hero of my sort of cultural, creative life, telling me that he thinks I'm cool. Fantastic. You <laughs> so know I'm what? glad that Spielberg yes. delivered yeah. because you could have got him on a grumpy day yeah. where he's a lovely, nice guy. But if you just got him on a grumpy day, you would then tell everyone for the rest of your career, nah, he was a grumpy dude. And you know what was the other big experience of my life? Yeah. I was the only person in the cinema that didn't even – Preview it to us. They didn't even believe that anybody was going to watch it. And I was sitting in this huge cinema. It was Horizon View. New Metro had a Horizon View cinema. Ten cinemas. The f- biggest one was about 800 people, and I was the only person there. And they showed the Shawshank Redemption, uh-huh. which nobody knew what it was at that time. Yeah. Because the original title, I think, was Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, Stephen King story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this story suddenly happened to me. And then also I thought, like with Space Odyssey, I've now seen something 
very, very special. What a privilege to have seen it alone. Not uh -huh. with people eating popcorn, not with people doing all different kinds of things. Why were you the only alone. one in the cinema? Nobody came. I, I bought a ticket because they didn't preview it to us. Okay. I had to go and pay for it and see it. And you were the, the only one in the cinema? I was the only one in the cinema. And it was Frank Darabont and nobody knew who that was. And I sat down and there was no one in this wonderful film on school. And I thought they must just not lock me up in the cinema after yeah. it finished because it was two and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> but um, what, what an experience. So Okay, so do those two moments stand out as, as being sort of some of the favorites? So, oh, I have many, I'm many sure. moments I'm sure. that I can't even begin to tell you because when I look at a film, I try to stay objective, obviously, and stay outside it with the zone of interest. It's easy to stay outside of a film yeah. because it pushes you back all the time. Yeah, it doesn't but take you close. It doesn't literally. take you close. It doesn't yeah. take you. But with the Spielberg film, you, you go into it. It's almost then, like he, he knows the components of the drug, you know, like, like you've studied, if you, you studied how the, you know, the, whatever makes up ecstasy and whatever makes up cocaine or whatever. And he, he knows the formula of the drug. He knows. And so he knows, how, he, he knows how to drug mm. you into the magic. Yeah. That's also why I, as a student and still up till now, never ever in my life took drugs because cinema was my drug. <laughs> Mm, <laughs> lovely. Um, yeah, I think perhaps we, you know, because I've I've gotten to see you quite often now because we both go to these these. Well, I now join these preview screenings that you go to. So I mean, it would be lovely to to perhaps have you come again and pop into the video <laughs> store every now and again. Yes. But I know you're a busy person. But yeah. but um, but yeah, thank you, Leon. I think if there's any other film that is worth a mention at this point, please shout. But. Uh, the Holdovers, which you're showing soon. Yeah, the Holdovers is, 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 is it's Dead Poets Society That's right. crossed with Scent of a Woman. I see it. I see yeah. it. Yeah. It's crossed with the two. Yeah. yeah. The two. No, I really enjoyed it. And, I, and it just from the moment the Holdovers started with it trying to be as authentically 70s as it could mm. Even down to the logos of the of Miramax and Universal and its rating and all that stuff that came before, I, I turned to to Graham, who's a part of the video store, and I was like, "This is perfect for the bioscope because that's what we play on." We seventies. It's film. just this idea the of nostalgia film. and just giving giving someone this like time capsule and the experience of a time capsule which the bioscope often tries to do with a sense of nostalgia. Speaking of a time capsule for me to end off, is the biggest moment in a cinema for me still, Pauline Kyle said the biggest moment in the cinema, she was the world's most famous film critic that I learned from in, in, in New York. Uh, I didn't go, I didn't meet her ever, but I read yeah. everything she wrote. She said, when the lights go down. And she wrote a book, when the lights go down. It's the biggest uh, moment. But for me, yeah. it's when the projector, projector started. Yeah. And you heard that yeah. sound yeah. and you knew it was starting. Yeah. That sound, I miss that sound. I still yeah. miss that. And all the scratches, the scratches on the film. Yeah. Because it was played so often. The sound of music played for five years, I think, in uh, Rosebank years ago. Yeah. 50, but 40 years ago. What I found interesting is that back in the day, it was obviously very expensive to make the reels. And... We as South Africans, if you were lucky enough to travel in the 80s, 90s even, when they were still using um, reels just before digital, you would always wonder why 
it could take as long as a few months or sometimes even longer before we got even the big Hollywood films. And that was because they could only make so many reels. The reels went around America probably first or Europe. And then they would ship it to other places like South Africa. And so we we kind of got thrown the scraps. And here in South Africa, it only showed in one cinema. In Johannesburg, in His Majesty's. Then it went to Cape Town, to the Alhambra. Mm. or whatever and then and so, he did and, the rounds. but in every time it got screened that stuff got a bit more messed scratched so a little bit like you watching some censored version the average South African also watched a very used version which I think is interesting and of course now with digital we can do these day and day releases and so that's a thing of the past but I found it interesting to see how South Africa literally got thrown the scraps of these like older very used reels which I thought was interesting. And also the directors didn't really want their films to be shown here because they were cut so mm. extensively. Oh. Some films had 50, 60 cuts in them. Wow. I really remember that. Yeah. Uh, that and, they and didn't have any control over. They didn't have any control. Some of the directors like Woody Allen then refused to have his film shown here did you, because of censorship. Did you ever hear the, I think Ludi had a story with Kubrick. I think it was Kubrick. Yes, it must have been him. Where, where, where there was a story of he found himself, he happened to have a very particular um, cut of a film with footage that, had, that they'd otherwise thought didn't exist. And there was a special handwritten note to, I think it was Ludi, who's the owner of, of um, the Labia, to say, you know, please, this means so much to me. Please, can you send this back to me? I need to get my hands on that footage. Because you just seem to have this version of a film that I can't get anymore, and I can't—it doesn't exist. You might have the last remaining copy. I hoped he kept the note. I think he did. I'm sure. I'm sure it was Liddy. But yeah, lovely Leon. I appreciate your time. I th- I think you, it's incredible to just see everything that you've managed to do, and that at the ripe young age of seventy, you're still doing it, which I think is just lovely. I I think. There's a testament to just how much that magic means to you, yes. and I and I just think it's great that you that you, I still see you. I see you a lot. I, yeah. Sometimes I'm grumpy because I don't always like previews. The half an hour stand before the time yeah. I want to sit down and watch. Yeah. So no. sometimes I'm grumpy. No, but you've <laughs> always been very polite. And of course, as I said, you gave me that that one. You know, you get told so much adversity. I, I did five years. But there's only about two or three things I remember that stuck with me, and one of which was yours. Oh, great. About, Thank you. About, you know, do you come out of it a different person? And, and that's the, <laughs> it's amazing how you can just learn so much, but just retain a couple of like key pillars. And I think that's great. I have your book, Seeing Sense, which is lovely. And so, and so yeah, what a, what, a, what a great chance to chat more. I, I hope to perhaps do this again. And thanks for inviting talk. me, Russell. It was an honor to be here. No, of course, man. And just, yeah, all the best. And I'll, and I'll, I'll see you soon. And good luck with the zone of interest. Oh, God. Yeah, no. People have enjoyed it. And I think the Bioscope is the right place it's to It's the right place to, to show it. it. It's, it's, right it's intimate in that it. sense. But a, a film like Holdovers, I'm, I'm excited. And, of course, Poor Things was such a great oh, film to do things. as our, as our first DCP things. film. Yeah. Yeah. And you've now got this new system. Yes, I remember you told me about this new system, and I was still thinking, "What does this new system mean?" <laughs> but yeah, no, it's because it, when we when we connected again through the video store, I started seeing you at all these these preview screenings, 
And you were like, just remind me what you do at the bioscope. And <laughs> I had to explain, you know, it's fun stuff, old stuff, some documentaries, some local films, stuff with embassies. Um, but can you screen this? No, well, no, we don't. We don't have the system for it. Now we do. Now you do. So now we can do almost everything that made us the bioscope before and some. Show a clockwork great. orange. Would Show a cool. clockwork orange hey, again. We should do it. Sure. Quite a movie. All right. Thank you, Leon. Thank thanks, you for your time. Thanks, Russell. Thanks to you. We'll chat soon. Bye-bye. All right. What a lovely chat. Hmm. What a great dude. He, yeah. sort, of, he sort of sings <laughs> as he talks. Yes. I cannot believe that he met Steven Spielberg. Yeah. And, and what the hell? And not just met him, had him serve him tea. Yes. <laughs> Wild. That is not fair. Right. No, he's a he's an amazing dude. And like so shout out to Rochelle who does the PR for the Bioscope and she helps set up um a lot of these interviews. Right. She made a comment like, you know, he was this he was the sort of voice of my childhood oh, in the sense right. that like she just knows his voice so well. Yes. And there's another um, great dude who helps at the bioscope called Lorne, who helps with like some of the shop fitting stuff. He's like a sort of fix it artist, right. sculptor guy. He kind of does everything. Um, and when Leon came out, he, we asked it, Lorne to take a photo of the two of us. Leon wanted a photo of us in front of the projector. Right. And after the whole encounter, Lorne was like, it's amazing. Like, you just know his voice. Oh, yes. And then I realized, like, <laughs> I, I've never. But, you know, I've never really heard his voice. Yeah. I never listened to RS here or some right. of those TV shows. But um, for so many people, Leon is like the voice of culture, the mm -hmm. voice of their life for these sorts of things. That is so interesting. Because yeah, I also never knew, um, like growing up, for me it was Barry Runger. Yes. And I know yeah. they worked Barry closely together. Barry Runger was sort of our guy. I guess yeah. he was the English version. Um, and then I started telling Leon about, you know, the fact that I'm, always on the lookout for <clears throat> pictures of cinemas. Yes. Um, I'm wanting to take a section of the bioscope and have it be almost this little museum to cinemas of Joburg. Right. Just oh, yeah, a small a little, idea little thing. No, but how's this? It's so cool. I, so I see Leon often. You often join yeah. when yes. you go to these preview screenings, and I see Leon all the time. Um, he handed me a flash stick of like, he's like, here's all my cinema photos. Oh, wild. What? <laughs> he's like, I've collected these cool. for myself over the years. So I just copied it onto a flash stick for you. So he's oh such my God, a what an guy. angel. Yeah. Um, I met him in my fourth year at After. When was that, Graham? It was 10 oh, years ago. Yeah. Oh, fuck. And uh, I needed a supervisor on my honors research paper. Mm. Um, which was about, I didn't know what's right about. I was like, I'm not, I'll make the movie. Let's not write an academic yes. paper. Uh, and I was talking about the value of film critics in the age of aggregate reviews. Right. And this was, and like kind of video reviews, video yes. essays. And that was just a shift in platform. But then uh, the postgraduate program director hooked me up with Leon. And then I went to go sit with him at a coffee shop and we just spoke about critics for mm. like three hours. Okay. And it was lovely. And then recently when we started seeing him again mm. at the screeners, I asked him to go for coffee with me and we just chatted about movies mm. and he's a good movie nerd <laughs> yeah. to get lost in a conversation with. Oh, 100%. But what I love is that when you ask him what his settle down form is, he doesn't skip a beat. Yes. Alien. Alien, yeah. 
just doesn't skip a beat. It's like you would think for a guy like that, he would have, oh, well, it depends on which category and what time of the day. Or da, yes. da, 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 da. He's like, alien. Alien. <laughs> <laughs> which is lovely. Yeah. Um, but I sat next to him, um, yes, well, a few days ago at the premiere of, uh, well, a special screening of Miller's Girl. Okay. Um, do you know anything about Miller's Girl? A little guys? bit. I know Martin Freeman's in it. Yeah. So a lot of these movies get a little lost and, and that's what's just been so great about video store is that mm. we've been invited to these screenings i now have a more advanced lens when watching these films now it's not just to talk to you guys now i can consider them um at the bioscope yes so now i really want to go to all these preview screenings so that i can get a advanced look on whether or not this is a film that the bioscope should screen mm. um i really i really enjoyed it cool it is a small, far more subtle, far more um, psychological film. So I'm not sure it's going to necessarily do well in cinemas. Yes. It's a lovely film. I mean, go and watch it if you, if you want to consider a film for, for cinema. But it's going to do very well when it gets to streaming, okay. I think. Okay. But it's, it's, it's more, yeah, it's, it's very thinking. What's the word? Okay. Uh, Contemplative. Well, it's psychological. It's, so basically, the back of the box is uh, Martin Freeman is a teacher at a varsity. You get the sense it's not high school. They're about 18. So they, they're in university. And Jenna Ortega, who we know from Wednesday, mm-hmm. is this like star pupil right. in his kind of English literature writing class. And you can immediately see she's very talented. Um, and there's a chemistry between them. But of right. course, she's this older guy. And Ooh. it's basically about their <clears throat> it's about their relationship. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, yeah. Well, so it's, it's like smart. a, a it's taste of the forbidden fruit kind somewhat, of story, and you don't right. quite. It's kind of difficult in the sense that you don't quite know what actually happened and what doesn't happen. How oh. much of it is in their imagination? So she basically writes a, a story which implicates him. Right, um, and you, and then you see scenes which you don't know which are in their imag- in her imagination as part of the story or what happened in real life. So it's not an actual unraveling. I think a typical story of this would be the unraveling. Yes, she manages to seduce him. His life falls apart. It's not quite as as simple as that. Oh my god! Um, but oh, that's cool. But it's I I, I liked it. Okay. I really liked it. I cool. It was cool. Miller's Girl. It's in cinemas now. It's probably going to be in more of this art house, you know, Hyde Parks of the world. Yes. Nouveaux of the world. Okay. So um, it's a psychological thriller, would you say? Somewhat. Without it being a thriller. Okay. Right. Mm, that's, okay. A, that's the weird part about it. Interesting. <laughs> but it's subtle. Okay. Which I thought was Psychological cool. drama more than thriller. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool to see Martin drama. Freeman in a space like that. That's yes. like most American compelling. A- American accent. Okay. Which is also always very interesting when he does it. And yeah, it's very like convincing. in um, Marvels. Yes. In the Marvel movies. Yeah. Yeah. And um and and yeah, it's 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 not what you think. Okay. Cool. That's cool. That's a cool soul. Yeah. yeah. Um but uh in terms of much light, very fun, quite frivolous. Um, we really enjoyed watching Players on Netflix. Okay. Which almost, it's a, it's a movie, it's a very modern day romantic comedy. Oh, okay. About a woman who and her friends have these plays to get hookups, right? And they've got all these elaborate 
plays that they've worked out and they've all got these cool names. And um, then she really targets someone she likes, she kind of falls in love with, or she thinks she loves. Also, don't want to give too much away, but it's a fun movie. It's like a, it's a made-for-TV movie, right? It's right. like a, a Netflix movie. Okay. But it feels like you're watching like a really great episode of New Girl. So it's like a smart buddy comedy, but it's fun and okay. it's silly and it's just it's a it's a good easy watch. Cool. Oh, that's nice. Players on Netflix. Cool. Players. Mm. The woman, um, the main character is a woman who was on a TV show called Lie to Me, Died Dying, where where she's a journalist and she writes obituaries. Oh, okay. And whoever she's writing about that week. Um, that person appears to them as a ghost, and she like gets to know them. Oh, okay, okay. Ah, what is it called? I have no idea. I've never heard of it. Okay, someone else talk, and then I'm going to find <laughs> okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, I finally got around to watching the creator. Oh yes, I also watched it on yeah. Disney. Yeah, it's on Disney. Okay, cool. That was cool. It is pretty solid. It is a solid movie. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I thought the hype around it was that it was an original sci-fi. Yes. And then as soon as I watched it, I'm like, that's from Akira. That's yes. from Akira. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Akira. Yeah. And it's kind of like me and Graham's really bad second year movie that was way too hyped up at after. Yeah. Like people were losing their shit over this movie mm. because we had Graham do CGI where we had a girl who's a bioweapon make someone dissipate into like ash. Yeah. And then it was like, fucking amazing. You guys got CG new movie. It's, it's a terrible script. But I was like, this is the same as our movie. It's yeah. the same fucking thing. Um, so we wrote uh, The Creator. Oh, you guys wrote it first. We wrote it first, <laughs> okay. I just want to say. But um, I was really impressed by Gareth Edwards' like more rooted character storytelling. Because yes. I feel like previously in Godzilla and Rogue One, mm. like what part he had to play in Rogue One, um, I felt like a lot of it was... Like, it's it's a disaster movie masquerading as a character form. Yes, okay. And I was, like, never convinced watching right. it. So I was like, oh, you're just all plot devices. You're a dad <laughs> trying to find his kid. I yes. don't believe that you're... Like, there's nothing really to engage with. They're right. very two-dimensional. Yes. And here I was like, this is hectic. This yeah. story is rough. There's a lot of, like, cool themes that these deeply characters... Deeply personal. Deeply personal that's I, themes. That, yeah, that's what I said the whole time. Was, like, when I watched it, was like, oh, it's so much deeper... And more meaningful than you think. Exactly. I wonder how much of that has to do with how kind of loose the production was. Because yes. it wasn't storyboarded. They weren't doing that thing like, you know, most of the time when this character is going to be a robot, right? Yeah. You're going to have a person in like a tracking, one of those gray tracking suits. So it's like yes. that person's a robot. They did none of that in this movie. So That's all the people insane. were just shot as people. And then they would pick who was going to be robots after the fact. What? Yeah. So it's wild visual effects like if, obviously we're all like okay the visual effects are very good yes. they're like a thousand times more complicated than you realize yeah and you look oh, at how cool much of it feels incredibly real yes. it is ILM and it's because they were like a lot of the time they're, they're filming on location filming like real people just doing things and then Gareth Edwards would go oh that's cool that would be cool for robots doing that like there's a shot of someone they've got like a big like sieve thing and they're like sifting through grain and they yeah. like pick it up like that sort of thing they just filmed a person doing that and they turned and it then into in a post, robot yes and like another shot of like a, a grandmother giving her, her little kid uh, like a candy bar and they were like cool make that a robot and that's what they Shit. did for like the whole movie mm. you know? oh my God, yeah. dude. No, it's, it's a fucking amazing movie. They hmm. said that they were one of the first crews to go and shoot globally after the lockdown measures were yeah. lifted. And he didn't want to go into Indonesia and Malaysia and these Southeast Asian countries 
and kind of disrupt their lives yes. with the film production and also like to shoot within their villages to tell them where they could or couldn't move. Yes. So it was like they went about life as normal and they filmed their characters within those scenes. Mm. So it feels like you're watching like this authentic environment yeah. that's so believable. It's got that like apocalypse now kind of yeah. vibe. Mm. Also one of his references that you're like, yeah. this is like apocalypse now. Yes. Uh, so stunning movie. Yeah. I was yeah. like really impressed. So this is the creator, which is on Disney Plus. Now. Yes. Cool. Highly recommended. Um, the the woman, the main character of Players that I was talking about, her name is Gina Rodriguez. She was most famous for Jane the Virgin. Okay. And then the TV show, which is definitely worth your time, is called Not Dead Yet. Right. Not Dead Yet. Where Not is it on? Not Dead Yet. I, I think it's on Disney Plus. Okay. But dot, not dead yet is it's charming. It's so as she writes an obituary, the yeah, person so appears. It's almost like she sort of gets a bit unhinged for some reason and <laughs> and the the ghost of the person she's writing about sort of appears to her. Like, right. like a very comical um sixth sense. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And she and then what's nice is that she actually gets to know them, right. writes this amazing obituary obituary for them because she really gets a sense of who this person is because the, the ghost of them is kind of haunting her for right. a week. And then the moment she submits the uh, obituary, um, they disappear. Okay. So each episode is like a different person. Right. Oh, so it's like early edition? What's oh, early edition? yes. Early edition was cool. <laughs> early edition was fucking amazing. What was that? Early edition was Kyle Chandler, who you'll recognize from the latest Godzilla movies. Was he was the dad in... In he it was wow I, I believe it was I'm looking it up <laughs> he was the dad in Super 8 okay it's like a very character actory kind of okay, guy okay and he would get an edition of a newspaper from a cat delivered to his house that told the the future like it was the uh, next day's newspaper uh, that he would get yeah, a day lovely. early yeah don't you remember the series no no it rings bells it, yeah, rings I bells. Never watched it was Carl Chandler okay okay yeah. and so what did he do with that information he would like save someone's life or. Like someone okay. would die because they fell off a building or something and he would go and save the day. Okay. It's just this regular Joe in New York and the cat would, the ginger cat would come give yeah. him his newspaper. Tell right, me. the cat gave him the newspaper? Yeah, well, there was always a cat there. I don't know if the cat delivered the newspaper or not. Yeah, because this was when I was like four yeah. or whatever. Yes. That was a great series. That was a cool show. Did you guys ever watch Pushing Up Daisies? Pushing no. Daisies. Just Pushing Daisies. Pushing was Daisies. It, wasn't it Pushing Up Daisies? No, no I think, I think it was, it was Pushing Daisies. With the Lee Pace show. Yeah, it, where he yes. was, uh, where if he touched someone, they died. But, or... No, if he touched someone, they came back to life. Oh, that's right. Yes, but only for a minute. Otherwise, someone would have to like take their place. Someone else would die if he brought someone else back to life. Yes. And then he worked with a friend of his who was a private detective to try and solve murders. Yes. Yeah. Apparently, that was an incredible cool. show. I, it was I liked awesome. it. I liked it. Yeah. And then, yeah, like yeah. the whole thing was, there was a girl who he was like had a was crazy for as a kid, goes to a funeral home. She's dead. Yeah. Brings her back to life. But the thing is, as soon as he touches them again, they die again. So now he's brought this person back to life and they're like in love with each other, but they can't touch each other. Otherwise, she'll die again. Oh, my God. I mean, this is a cool show. It sounds so silly, but it it really was a good show. I remember really liking it. Yeah, I loved that. Apparently, a whole bunch of people were really irritated that they canceled that show. Yeah, they canceled it like halfway through its second season. So that's like wrap it up in like an episode. That's annoying. Yeah. Um, what else are we enjoying? I watched Scream for the first time in my life. Oh. 1996 Scream. Wild. I remember there was the scene, oh, I can't remember the actress's name, but she's so recognizable. When 
she crawls through the the cat flap in the garage door. Okay. And that goes up. Mm. That like I saw that as a child for some reason. Yeah. And it haunted me for the rest yeah. of my life. And Aaron and my brother and I were watching it together. And he's like, "This is the scene." And I was like, "It's the fucking scene." <laughs> Where we were traumatized as children having watched it. So I think we stopped watching it. But it is a fantastic movie. Mm. No, of course it is. It is so goddamn amazing. Yeah. And I didn't know that all those cliches that we call out from horror movies and slasher films. Scream defined those. It was yeah. like the first meta narrative yeah. horror film, and mm-hmm. it was Wes Craven, mm-hmm. a, either pointing out the format of like John Carpenter's movies, who was like his contemporary competitor kind of vibes, mm. or well, he, he was calling the mantle to him. I feel yes. like John Carpenter was more eighties, and then Wes Craven came into the nineties with Scream. Oh, no, but Wes Craven also did Nightmare on Elm Street around the same time as Halloween. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's like a very similar kind of premise yeah. and idea. Mm. Um, but, but yeah, Scream welcomed in a whole new a whole new generation of like slasher films where yes. they were kind of aware of themselves. Yes. They mm. played on that original kind of Friday the 13th. Mm. What? It's it's dark. Yes. Like, oh, who is there? Oh. Yeah, exactly. If you have sex, you're going to die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? No, it, it was great. And he actually wasn't going to do it. Wes Craven? Uh, Wes Craven, yeah. He was thinking about something else and then he, uh, uh, you know, agreed last minute. Oh, wait. Um, there's lots of great things. Drew Barrymore was up for other things, but she said, no, I really like that, you know, that original role, that like first scene. Yes. Just because of how great it was. It is amazing. I got a proper jump scare watching <laughs> it. There was a moment where I was like, oh. They yeah. also, uh, whoever, the, the, the guy they used for the voice yeah. on the phone, no actor ever met that person because uh, they wanted to kind of keep him this kind of mysterious person yes. that, that, you know, they didn't associate with anything other than when the phone call happened. Right. And you know what kind of irritated me? You know, in Saw, right. um, Jigsaw says, um, I want to play a game mm. like that. Yeah. And that's kind of iconic to Saw. That's what the guy said in Scream in 1996. Uh, right. I want to play a game. I want to play a game. Mm. Or do you want to play a game? And I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> that's annoying. It's yeah. amazing when you realize where these things start. Yes. Yes. There's a lovely um, Armchair Expert episode, which is a great podcast, with um, Rob Reiner. And mm. he's talking about the fact that you know when he made that movie with Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman called The Bucket List, that right. term didn't exist before that. Don't like, joke. That ah. came from that movie. And he's like, people don't know that. Or well, people <laughs> often don't think about it, but, yes. but we made it up. That is so weird because yeah. when that came out, you, you think, think it just that exists. It existed before that. Yeah. And yes. then they just called it that, but they invented the they term. They invented the, the term. Huh. That is hectic. Well, like the writer. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Maybe it's been floating around for years before they made the movie, but yeah. it was from that movie. Right. That's the term a bucket list comes from. Crazy. Interesting. Yeah. That yeah. is cool. Um, we've started uh, the TV show One Day, which I'm kind of on the fence on. But okay. it was sold to me when Les was like, it's a limited series. So I'm like, cool. cool. I yeah. can get into that based on some famous bestseller. Right. Apparently, like, it's got huge cries coming. <laughs> so, like, these Netflix ads around the world are like, you should watch One Day on your own so that you can ugly cry by yourself. <laughs> oh. And um, what's the back of the box? Back of the box so far is that it's about a this kind of lifelong friendship that these two people have. They meet at a at basically their graduation party in the eighties in in Edinburgh from their university. 
our main character is an Indian woman, um, and then the main guy is this sort of more privileged white British guy. Um, the Indian woman seems to sort of have to work hard and 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 not as obviously as privileged. And it's it's about their friendship where they were going to hook up on this night, but they didn't. Ooh. And it seems like every episode is going to be like a year in their relationship as they sort of bumble along and and maybe love each other but don't meet up. And so there's a point where I was like, oh, this is a girls' show, <laughs> in the sense where I was like, okay, this is like this is a romance. Yes. This is about um yeah the the sort of subtleties of unrequited love and right. you know like i can get into that to a large degree like i'm a good sucker for romance film um but mm, i don't know we're gonna see okay but apparently but apparently what's coming is like heartbreaking cries right interesting and i sort of said to um someone who was, we were chatting about it and i was like I don't know whether I want to hear that. I'd rather just be caught <laughs> exactly by, caught surprise by surprise and then find it heartbreaking. I don't know whether. Yes. I don't know whether I want to continue when someone like don't tell me to get emotionally invested. Yeah, just all, let it happen. Yeah, or well, don't warn me so much about it because yeah. so then it's, it's no one hundred percent. Then it's not going to be as effective. Yeah, um, it was like going to watch that. The premise reminds me of past lives, a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, kind of. Yes. kind of. Yeah, yeah. This is more like a little bit like even in this movie Players, which I mentioned earlier, it's the whole narrative of like they you're friends, but do you love each other? But you don't. But, you know, mm. should you have hooked up, but you don't want to ruin your friendship? Like it's that kind of weird subtlety. Right. I've had a few of those moments. Yeah. <laughs> Hectic. Yeah. But um, what is nice and what I thought is very perfectly timed on Netflix's part is that they've released a new season of Love is Blind and Drive to Survive. The Formula One shirt uh-huh. at pretty much the same time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so there's like not they, tactical they, at all. Netflix have yeah. have split up, the you dem- know, the, the TV family. the TV rooms for the next like. Oh, this is so that when you week. get the subscription, you can be like, oh, I get four screens so that the kids can watch Avatar, the yes. husband can watch Formula One, and I can watch Love yeah, Is yeah. Blind. I'm going to be in the other room <laughs> yeah. watching Love Is Blind. You got to have multiple screens in your subscription. <laughs> so guys. they've they've split up the couch, right? But so far, um, Drive to Survive is, is cool. It's a very binge-worthy show. And it's it's the original. It's the OG of Netflix sport docky yes. series. And you can see they've commissioned a whole bunch in right. the wake of Drive to Survive success. Right. So okay. there's the tennis one. There's the golf one. There's the NFL one. You know, there's even a women's soccer one. It's like... They're cool, but the OG is Drive to Survive because there are only how many seats in Formula One? I forget. Twenty something. Twenty yeah. something seats. There's there's only that amount of characters. Yes. And it is at the pinnacle, at the highest form of racing. Yeah. So it's it's and there's great drama. Halfway through the season, people buy and sell each other and you know, leave this group, this racing team, but they go into another one, or this person has to be kicked out because he's not good enough. And who's is it about the like Formula One season that happens? Every season of Drive to Survive is the season of Formula One that's just happened. Oh no! So wait. it starts in Bahrain, it ends in a I forget. Oh, is this why there's suddenly so many people that watch Formula One? Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because from I remember, like ten years ago, 
It's changed uh, like, the entire economics of Formula One. They've added more races in the States because of the success of Drive to Survive. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure it pushed it mostly in America because the rest of the world was already pretty on board with their flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Especially like, popularizing in it in America has been a huge deal. No, they've now added this year, well, okay, so this season based on last year's race, <clears throat> happened, uh, they added a race in Vegas Yeah, for the first time ever. Sure. It's all because of this Netflix TV show. And mm. here we are with Kyle Lamy just sitting there. <laughs> Oaks are trying. Yeah, they're trying. They're trying real hard. Have you seen the accident that caused it to be shut down? <laughs> it is fucking hectic. It's on YouTube. You can go watch it right now. Right. Where a, a guy, what happened? There was a guy who, a car went off the track. I don't think that driver died. Right. But a car went off the track and it was on fire or something. And there was a guy that ran across the road. Oh, my Lord. And he gets hit by a Formula One car. Yes, see. And he was carrying a fire extinguisher, I think. And that the guy who hit him, that Formula One driver died. Right. Because he hit the guy and then it, like, whatever. But you see the guy get hit and you see him spin, like, crazy mm. fast through there. Yes, see. But he gets longer. It's, like, <laughs> happening so quickly you don't know what you're seeing. Yeah. It's, it's a rush. Oh, wow. It's like when you get hit by a car that's traveling Jesus. at that speed. Yeah. A rush. And I think that's why it closed down. If I'm not mistaken. It might not be the 100% reason. I mean, it just costs so much money. And well, like why Formula One stopped there. Yeah, it's also so much of it is up to uh, yeah, the, F1, the, the, the system. sort of the, the big organization yeah. that, you know. No, it's hectic. Because it's all about the traveling in the weeks. And it's also like we are at the tip of Africa. It's, it's, yes. It might not make sense in their, in their world tour. They're like this kind of huge, you know, band that travels the world. <laughs> With their paddocks and how they set it up in all these places, and yeah. you're making me, rem- you're reminding me of why Judas Priest didn't come to South Africa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> shit. No, it's hectic. Yeah. All right, uh, GeForce. Yo, there's. I've got a few things to talk about. Briefly, I want to talk about two things. One is Life on Our Planet. Is that the dinosaur Netflix series? Yeah, kind of. It's like Netflix saw prehistoric planets and went, "We do dinosaur show too." <laughs> um, but it's pretty good because it's not strictly like a dinosaur show. Okay. It's way more broad than that. Yeah. It's like four billion years of Earth history, okay. basically. They're trying to cover like everything. Sure. Yeah. It's super interesting and it's very well made. Okay. Produced by Steven Spielberg. Visual effects by LM. Okay. But it's, yeah, it's... Um, I remember starting it and I fell asleep. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's freaking cool because it's like, if you're interested in that sort of thing, it's going to... It's probably going to get you. Yes. You know, and yeah, yeah, you're going to learn a bunch of things. Like there was a point in time when it rained for a million years. (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) It rained for a million years. Jesus. Basically nonstop. Yeah. And like the, they get into like all the, all over the world. (laughs) (laughs) They get into like the things that have like caused all the extinctions that have happened. Oh, like five mass extinctions that have happened. Yeah. That stuff is so interesting. That's hectic. Yeah. yeah, And people forget how that all fits into sort of like now. Yeah. Mm. The next one's coming. (laughs) And we're bringing it upon ourselves. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Normally the earth is just taking care of it like by itself. Like there was one that I found this so like bizarre. When you think about it, it's like the, the abundance of life itself caused the extinction when there was basically only life in the oceans and plant matter was starting to grow in the lands. Yeah. That meant a bunch of like nutrients were dumped into like rivers and that sort of thing, which flowed into the ocean, which means plankton like went crazy and like overproduced, which meant there was like such a thick layer of plankton that 
like light and oxygen weren't getting into the ocean. So like all the fish died. Like no 80, ways. 80% of like the things in the ocean died because of that. Because the plankton, the amount of plankton weren't letting sunlight yes. through. What? But that was caused by the fact that there was now plant life on... on so it needed to reset to find the equilibrium yeah. with plant life. It's wild. And this Hectic. was like at one point a couple of million years ago. Like hundreds of millions of years ago. That's wild. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when they say like oh, four and a half billion years ago, like we have no perspective for that. No, yeah. none. None. What is that one fact about if if the whole history of the world it's was... It's Bill Bryson's book. Yeah, if the whole um, history of the world was a body, the inve- you know, the arrival if of... You, if you put your arms out side to side like a span, yeah. and that is the... Um, the timeline of the earth mm-hmm. and yeah. you took a nail file and just went sh- on your finger. That's human humanity yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah. I've also seen that saying if you take like a calendar oh, and, you, yes. and you take like one minute before midnight on December 31st, that's like people. Like people have only been around for like 200,000 years and like civilization has only existed for like 12,000 years. Mm. You know, it, it is, is bonkers. It is insane. Mm. Um, a new show on Apple TV just started called Constellation. Okay. I have Apple TV+. Plus. Um, I still don't really know what it's about because the first episode is really confusing. In a good way? Yeah, kind of. In a way, like I'm going, huh? Okay. What? So basically, trying to like condense as much as possible, a bunch of people on the ISS, okay. the International yeah. Space Station, something goes wrong. There's like an accident. Oh, is it um, a space alien Movie? I don't think it's a. Spe- I don't think it's an alien movie. They're doing some sort of experiment with something, oh, it's an alien and then movie. something goes wrong, and then I think it's like a like a switching dimensions thing. Not, oh. not a thing. I think I might be wrong about so that because one episode and I still don't know. It's not sunshine. It's not the Fantastic Four. No, it's like kind of in that space. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then like most of the crew leave, and then there's one person. It's um, Numi Rapace. She's the only person left. I'm there to do repairs. Ooh, I'm and watching then, it if she's in it. Who's that? Lead actress from Prometheus. Yeah. Okay. That's an original girl with the dragon tattoo, right? Yes. Res- and like original the, the Elizabeth Swedish version, Zalanda, or the Finnish the, version. Yeah. Was. What's her name? Numi Rapace. That's a cool name. Yeah. yeah. You you reminding me of this movie that's coming out soon with Adam Sandler called Spaceman. Yes, it looks so freaking cool. It's Does weird. It? it looks bizarre. It's like he's stuck awesome. on a. Also, like stuck on a on a spaceship. Yeah, he's on like a three year mission or something like that, and on his a, own, completely alone. And he's space. kind of losing his mind, and he's now kind of getting uh, these visions. I guess we I don't, don't know if yeah, they're visions. I don't know if it's literal of or not. this like spider that's like on the spaceship with him, and he's like talking to the spider. Yes, Paul Dano as a big spider. Paul Dano is the voice. Yeah. Oh, hectic. But it doesn't. It doesn't seem like this is silly. Sand. No, it's like it looks like bleak and like very serious. Oh, is he yeah. still trying to get his Oscar? Shame. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether this is an Oscar film, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it looks real interesting. Yeah. So yeah, okay. the description I read, like the description for it, it, describes it as a creature from the beginning of time that he's talking to. Interesting. And like he's having this whole thing of his marriage back on Earth is falling apart. Yeah. And this spider creature is now trying to help him repair this relationship while they're in space oh what it looks just, really cool that's a cool premise i just yeah. love thinking of the pitch yes do you yes. know what i mean i love th- that's what whenever we're talking about the plot in the back of the box i always think about like that boardroom in netflix 
where someone was like, you know, and it's this, and it's a, it's a, it's a spider that he then starts talking to, and <laughs> yes. everyone's imagination is probably like in ten wildly different places, different yeah. from yeah. everyone else. Pitching is, you have to have a gift. There Let's was put once an idea a, in someone's head. There was, I think we've spoken about. There was once a list of all the failed TV show pitches, like the worst TV show pitches. Okay, uh, and there was one about, um, uh, like a reality tv show where like a woman like a young woman will meet who's an orphan or a woman who doesn't know her, her dad will have to meet a bunch of different dudes one of which will is her dad and she's got to like choose at the end of this like which one she thinks is her dad oh my god it makes no, no sense and, the, and then you can imagine this in the pitch the guy going and the name Who's your daddy? Oh, oh my god! And everyone else being like stamped, denied. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wild. Oh uh, no, reality TV is. We need to calm down. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, anything else? Um, I finished Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Cool. It's really good. Lovely. It is so cool. Okay, that is over on Amazon. Amazon Prime. And it's got old Donald Glover. Uh, yeah. Who we know as Childish Gambino. Who yes. we know as. Um, Lando Troy. Carusian. Yeah, Lando yeah. Carusian. <laughs> Troy from Community. Yes. Okay, so, yeah, nice. We spoke about it in a previous episode. Yeah, nice I just re- watched the first one. Nice little reimagining of the Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie movie. Yes. Yes. And you, okay, so you enjoyed season one. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like each episode is essentially like a condensed phase of their relationship these two people that have been kind of thrown together. Okay. So like we said, it's not about a married couple. It's about two people working for a spy agency you have to pretend that they're married. Okay. And then that turns into like a real relationship. And then each episode is like, you know, a phase of that relationship. And then like whatever mission they're on in that episode kind of like feeds into that. Okay. You know, like there's an episode where it's got each episode also has like, you're going, oh, that person's in the show for one episode. So there's an episode with Ron Perlman. Oh, what? Um, and they're getting to the point where, they're talking about like children, like would they want children? She doesn't want kids. He wants kids, that sort of thing. And they have to protect Ron Perlman, who's this like super rich douchebag who's being hunted down by people for whatever reason. Shame. Why do they keep on casting him as a douchebag? Because <laughs> of his face. <laughs> and his voice. He can just do it so well. Yeah. But he's this like really needy, whiny asshole. Okay. So he's so like, like this old 70 year old man, but he's like a child, and now they're having to look after this dude. So they're doing that sort of thing. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's okay. a very cool show. Okay, lovely. I'm watching yes. the second season of The Legend of Vox Machina. Oh, uh, okay. What's um, that? I'm sure we might have spoken about the first season. On YouTube, long story short, is a series called Critical Role, where a whole bunch of American voice actors play a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. And they are. 100% responsible basically for why Dungeons and Dragons is so big now. Okay. They've done three Not campaigns. The Dungeons and Dragons movie. No. Okay. Like that was, this was, we're talking like 10 years they've yeah. been building Dungeons okay. and Dragons up. So American voice actors, you'll recognize the one woman from Ellie in Last of Us, for mm-hmm. example. Um, okay. Like a whole bunch of really big names. They, and, they, they're playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Exactly. And they have had three campaigns. Each campaign is about 200 episodes of four-hour episodes each. Jesus. So you're watching these characters move through a story of 200 episodes, four hours each. And the first season, the first campaign that they did, the party was called Vox Machina. And it's become so big that they got an anime, they turned that campaign into an animated series on Amazon Prime. And first season was fantastic. It's um, unadulterated. So it's like violence. It's There's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of like 
they talk about sex all the mm. time, and but it's fantasy and it's animated and it's adult and okay. it's shameless indulgence in fantasy. Okay, like, cool. Like Lord of the Rings level deep, deep, deep fantasy, but it's hilarious and, and funny and, and so season two is brilliant. What is the Amazon show called? The Legend of Vox Machina. Vox Machina. And have they, they've like taken those stories and rewritten them and like voice acted them, right? They're yes. not just taking, okay, they're not taking audio from the... No, 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 no. Okay. So they're like completely so remade it for the series. Okay. Because yeah. the, 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 the Dungeons and Dragons game, when they're playing it, yeah. is entirely up to chance, right? So yeah. certain things will happen, a roll of the dice literally will determine how this game develops. Exactly. And of course, everyone enjoys watching this long game play out. Yeah. So the so the results of that is what's now being created as a scripted show. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So the so outcomes of everything that they've played. Cool. Yeah. It was like um, in our Dungeons and Dragons campaign, there was moments where I like fucked up really hard, <laughs> and I tried to attack an entire caravan because I was done with not having any action. Uh-huh. So I Leroy Jenkins and I jumped in <laughs> and almost got the whole party killed, but the DM wasn't <laughs> going to let me get away with it. The dungeon master. And the bad guy got a hold of my character and slipped my throats. Okay. okay. This, is in the, was, this is in the this game. This is in my you D&D play, game. Yeah. You is called. His, the character's name is Uwu. Uwu. Uwu feel. How often do you. Fanboy half elf. How often do you play Dungeons Every, and Dragons? Every like two to three weeks. Okay. And you got to remember what happened, right? Yeah, yeah. So our DM, Reinhardt, will always write out like a chapter of story as fiction as a summary episode right so wow. we basically got a book which is cool of our <laughs> campaign but um i was bleeding out on the floor the party managed to like get to me around it says you've got this many like seconds before it's all Cole dies. It's, it's all rests in the dungeon master yes and he's like busy deciding what role is needed and then my bag was somewhere so no one had potions on them they couldn't just give me a potion to heal me I was like, fuck, my character's going to die. This is bullshit. I've been playing for a year and my character's going to die. Yeah. And then the friend was like, I put my hands on his neck to try and like stifle the bleeding. And I do a medicine check. So Ryan's like, cool, do a medicine check. You have to take your D20 dice and roll it. Yeah. And then if it's a one, it's a critical fail. And Reinhardt would decide where that threshold of success is. So right. he'll decide yeah. anything above eight. Mm. But this guy rolled a D20, which is critical <laughs> success. So okay. I, I survived. Uwu. 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 What did you call yourself? It, I, t- I took the word Uwu, which is an internet thing, yes. and turned it into an elf name. Okay. So it's Uwu Feel. Uwu uh, Feel. Jesus. So everyone calls him Uwu now. <laughs> no, uh, listen, I, a part of me, like, yeah, wishes to be a part of something like that. Really like, fucking cool. like, I get it. I, I, I get what that is. Yeah. You know, it's like, the geeky fantasy equivalent of like a bunch of dudes that always go fishing every two weeks, you know, yeah. like you've got yes. stories, you've got in jokes, you've got yes. camaraderie, you've got shared, you know, memories. Yes. But it just involves like potions and elves and, and the worst of thing, dice. Yeah, exactly. It's like you get people that take their characters very seriously or just play role play well. Mm, right. So my friend Shana is a rogue that steals things. So every time we go into a dungeon, she doesn't care that it might be a trap. She right. like goes for like the chest to try and open. I'm like, yes. fucking stop. And I like try <laughs> I try wrestle her character to the ground. Ryan's like, cool, make an acrobatics check. <laughs> and then 
it's so frustrating. Like when you're in a party of people trying to work together, but one of them is a chaotic right. character. That but that's interesting how you get to know your character and you you, you try and make it different from who you are and you really sort of grow this character and you probably yes. come to love this character exactly mm. I think is and really then they might die at any point Jesus alright yeah. um, speaking of big epic fantasies and high stakes we are going uh, this week to watch Dune Part 2 yes which is very Finally. exciting yes yeah, it was supposed to come out in October last year. Yeah. And a uh, lovely, uh, very smart gentleman, Gerald, is joining us. Cool. Okay. Um, with a bit of luck, we should be able to pull this off. So I'm just manifesting it into the universe. <laughs> um, he lectured me at WITS. He's a, um English lit professor. Um, often um, comes to 44 Stanley to shop and you know enjoy 44 Stanley. And when we started talking about the podcast, it came up the fact that he lectures a course on Dune. Cool. And so I think there is no better special guest mm. to do a special Dune episode. Well, this is cool. Then um, with him. Yeah. So the plan is to go out and watch part two, perhaps digest it a bit, figure out the time. Hopefully we can make this happen. Cool. And we can have a special um, Dune episode. Cool. That's very exciting. So putting it out into the universe. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, all right, magic, guys. Is there anything else? Avatar. No. Oh, The Last Airbender. Yes, we need to talk about Avatar, The, the Last Airbender. So okay. Netflix just dropped their live-action remake of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Mm. Um, been attempted before by Mr. M. Knight. M. Knight. And it's one of the worst movies ever made. It's dreadful. Um, Have you ever seen it? I watched a bit of it, okay. but I don't know any of the original because it yeah. was originally a, a TV show, animated a, TV an animated show, yeah. TV show, and yeah. it's incredible. It's really great. And I remember at the time they had existed as Avatar, The Last Airbender, and mm. James Cameron <laughs> came into town and was like, "I want to make a movie called Avatar." Yes. And there was a bit of a fight over who owns the yeah. term. Oh, and now they're copying every season of Avatar, The Last Airbender. With the movie, oh. James Cameron, because it was The Way of Water was the sequel. Oh, right. And next they're going to be Fire Navi yes. and Underground Earth Navi. And everyone's like, <laughs> that's like, that's exactly like fucking Avatar oh, The Last Airbender, okay, James. So, oh, so James Cameron is actually kind of yeah. inadvertently now. Not in, well, not I don't know if it's Well, I mean, yeah. they're just doing the four elements. Earth, yeah, fire, it's like water, not the most so original idea, to yeah. be fair. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But, but they have nothing to do with each other no. yeah. in theory. Wasn't originally an animated TV show, yeah. cuck movie, which we'll forget, and now this is the live action, the live action television TV series. Yes, uh, really, not off to a good start. Oh no, it's clearly very expensive. Like it looks like you can tell they put a yeah. ton of money into this. But just because something is expensively made doesn't automatically mean it's well made. Oh, that's a good way of phrasing. Um, it. Yeah, there's the film school expression: you can't polish a turd. Do you remember yeah. that? Hectic. The thing is, like, the source material is so good. I don't know it's how amazing. you screw this up. Um, you know, okay, I will start with this. I think as audiences and studios, studios are bad for this as well, yeah. is we don't give shows enough time to find their feet. Yeah. A lot of don't. the time. That's why shows get cancelled often. Mm. You know, people give up after, like, one episode. So I'm going to give it a couple more because the show obviously hinges on a lot of young actors. Yeah. Like, they're all young, inexperienced actors. Sure. And I want to see if they get better over time because yeah. they're not great right now. And it's not helped by the fact that the writing isn't very good. I know. What, yeah. is, what makes the story special? It's just, I think it's 
What is it about? What is what's the back of the box? Okay, on back Avatar? of the box on Avatar is there are four nations: Earth, Fire, Air, Water. Yes. Um, a hundred years before the story starts, the Fire Nation attempts to take over all the other nations. Mm. They're the Nazis of of the Avatar <laughs> world. Yeah, um, but people in the world have the ability to they're they're we have these like fire earth thing because there are people in these nations that have the ability to control those elements. They're called benders. They can like control fire. They can control water, that sort of thing. And there is the avatar who is the reincarnation of someone who can control all four elements. Okay. And they're like a peacekeeping, like, you know, yeah, they keep the balance between all the Yeah, balance is like a big part of it. And it's very like steeps in like Eastern religion and that sort of thing. But is the fire nation like full of fire? Or I mean, kind of, but they can degree. like they can like create fire yes. essentially and okay. shoot fireballs and that sort of thing. Exactly, okay. it's, it's cooler than it sounds. Um, <laughs> but then in the animated series, Ang is the last Airbender. Yes, because, because all the, the Airbenders were killed. Yeah, the first nation, the first one that the Fire Nation attacked were the Air Nation because they knew that's where the next Avatar would be. Yes, because so the Avatar like, reincarnates every single time. Moving into all yeah. the elements. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. All right. It's, it's very. Don't give us that. Like, oh, sorry. <laughs> he got that face. <laughs> it's an incredible show. It's okay. really it is, fucking. Yeah, the original animated and, and, one. And the original show is done. Like, it's yeah. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. it's happened, and there's how many seasons? Three seasons, and then there was a sequel series called The Legend of Korra about the next Avatar, which was four seasons. Really good. And now they're doing a bunch of animated movies as well. Oh, cool. So yeah, like there's going to be an announcement. There's going to be a movie about the original characters, Aang, and all of them set when they're in like their 20s. Cool. Yeah. But it makes sense that a TV show, you know, if it's going to be rebooted, let's say from animation, yeah. then it makes sense that it gets rebooted as a TV show. I think there's mm. just such a great space for that limited series or just a TV show in general yeah. for certain stuff that just can't be put into a movie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's too much for a movie. I think that's why it has to be a TV show. But yeah. again, the, the writing's not good. The young actors aren't great. You can tell they're doing a lot of things like in the editing, they're cutting around people who can't do martial arts a lot. Oh, I know. Um, Come on. That's like the whole point of the show as well. It's like yeah, really good martial They're also arts. doing things like in the show, right? It yeah. starts with... Ang and Katara, no, with Katara and Sokka. Yeah. And they find Ang. Yeah. They don't know who he is. They don't know what's happened. Yeah. All of that is a total mystery. And this, it starts with Ang in the air temple and the Fire Nation attacking and him escaping. So it's like all that stuff that is kind of happens in show, don't tell. Yes. They just tell. Oh, no. There's a lot of that in the show of like, of like telling oh, without no. showing and like it's not, yeah, kind yeah. of not letting things, not, not letting, letting audience discover things. Uncertainty. Yes. Yeah. Mm, no. um, I'm not optimistic. Audiences are smart. They're yes. smarter than people think. Exactly. Yeah. Cool, guys. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Like, Thank yes. you, man. Let's go watch Dune. Yeah. Yes. What an exciting week. Oh, I'm right. so excited. <laughs> Lekker. Thanks for listening thus far. We yeah. love and appreciate you. Our home base is the video store.ca.za. Please chime in. Let us know what you think of shows like Avatar Last Airbender. Um, and all the stuff that we've spoken about and we hope to see you again next week which hopefully is going to be this June episode yes, yes. <laughs> <Pretty> <laughs> by hook answer. or by crook we'll do it yeah um, lovely we'll see you again next week sweet catch bye bye